0: Off the ball. Does Lampard understand what his role is here? Oh, well, I've only been here a couple of days. Do you? I can't sort out all the problems in that time. Are you thinking, you're not here to sort out the
1: problem? Subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts and download the OTB Sports app.
2: OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition, available now.
3: Very good morning to you this Monday morning, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. Colm is here. Good morning. Shane is here.
1: Good morning.
3: Shane, how are you?
1: You know what? The Rhino Tool celebration, lads. Cash money. Is you that know, what he did? I missed it. Uh, he was running away and he started doing the, the little rubbing the notes together sign.
3: Kerching kerching.
1: Exactly. We're in the money. Who knows what it meant, but you know what? It looked cool. Very, very cool. Who is he? Is he a, is he a rock star? He's a rock star, it turns out. Young lad from Scotstown. Well able to speak as well after the match. You've got to live in the moment. You've got to live in the moment, folks. Rhino2 lived in the moment. We will get to that. I do want to talk a lot about it.
3: We will, and it's, in the, it's uh, obviously Monahan are in the green. We're going to get to that in just a second. How's everybody's weekend? Gee, succession's very good. <laughs> Don't say a word.
4: Yeah, I, same time. I'm way, I, way
3: behind all of you. Okay. Way well, behind. I, as I, usual. I, I am angry. I am Stewie Stewie Byrne Levels are angry about the Daily Mail the Daily Mail last week Mm. on their front cover Mm. on their front cover Unforgivable Absolutely absolutely unforgivable and they're they're banned from this show for at least a week (laughs) (laughs) I can't go online as a result of this Well I muted every word I muted every word that was available on Twitter and it still didn't prevent now I was I was like sceptical enough in, in my own mind to be able to still discover something uh, in whatever. But I'm not going to speak about it anymore because it's just, we can't, know because I immediately turn off everything so we're just, you're well, that, literally making okay. people turn off. That's yeah. okay. That's okay. I'm just saying there was a scene in early parts of the series. I was going to send
4: it to you over the weekend but I said, no, I'll leave you alone. But I was like, this is one of the best bits of acting I've ever seen, ever. Well, you can say that because it's all yeah, uh, uh, I mean, Jeremy Strong and... uh Sarah Snook like there's, there's a scene that they have to people get. People don't know their names of the, of the people the characters yeah. Well I'm sorry I'm trying not to give anything away like you said what I don't Kensal want to give anything shit. away what, what season is it's start. It's the start it's the start of season 2 okay. and it's just this I've I watched a scene like 6 or 7 times back it's just incredible the acting it's just I, I, can't, I can't get over it so what I do then is I type in the actual episode review and then only read content from the date of the publication so if it's back in 2018 19 I know there'll be no spiders. We can't go on YouTube
1: because the comments will give it away. That's fair. Got to be wise about these things, <sighs> folks.
3: Thankfully, we've a busy shop. You wanted to get that off your chest, you all right?
4: Yeah, include that. Work away.
3: I was in Dingle at the weekend. Oh, doing ride Dingle, which is what's um, that? Hey, it's a cycle. It's called ride Dingle, though. Okay, just uh, good name. Uh, and uh, there's two cycles. There's one that goes out around, is it uh, Slayhead? And then the, the second one takes you up over the Connor Pass. I, um, I I signed up to do the whole Connor Pass thing, but hadn't done enough training for it. So I was uncertain about whether or not I was going to do it. And um, uh, at the end of the 56 kilometre cycle, Oof. you get back into Dingle and there's a really steep hill to get you up. And at that, I actually cramped cramped in my thighs, which uh. I didn't know you could cramp. Learning new things about your body. Exactly. Uh, took a little bit of a break anyway and come, come down, and they're like, okay, uh, left, go down the hill, down the hill, down the hill for Connor Pass, down the hill. For a corner. I was like, I'm going to do this, I'm going to give this a go. Got to the bottom of the hill and looked up, and it was just this kind of endless cycle, and I was like, absolutely not, no way. So I made the very, very smart decision to uh, go home and get into bed and huddled for about an hour. Until kickoff at half twelve, which was perfect time for Aston Villa against Newcastle, mm. which we are going to talk about. Yeah, recuperate. So the legs, the legs feel okay today, jer But fifty six
1: k around Dingle is worse than fifty six k in Berlin. I, or
3: do you know? Do you know Dingle and the Conor Pass? I know the Conor Pass. I was just thinking, what are your discomfort levels on the Conor Pass? I didn't. I couldn't do it because I made the mistake of driving in not the normal way. Yeah, I drove up the Conor Pass to get into Dingle. Yeah, and I was like nearly puking. It's terrifying. Uh, but imagine going that—you come down that bit on the bike. Yeah. I was like, I'm not doing this, it's, and there's no way I could do this. I would die, and I'm nearly dead now after only having done the fifty something, as opposed to doing the hundred and twenty. Yeah, next year I will go back and do the hundred and twenty. Lycra, Jerry, we were in Lycra, of course. Yeah, mammal, you're a mammal. You have got to accept who you are, you Shane. You got to lean into. Why it. would Why would you like? I'm not. I'm not scared of that. That's yeah, that's exactly. I am a middle aged man, and I wear a Lycra when I'm cycling yeah. purely for comfort, Marge. Purely for comfort. <laughs> yeah, no chafing. Well, no, there is. of of course. There's chafing. There's always chafing, chafing <laughs> Shane. Do, you, do we want to be totally honest about this at half seven on a Monday morning? Yeah. I'm not sure. Talcum powder. No, talcum powder k- is carcinogenic. So okay. don't, don't be using don't talcum don't powder. Seven thirty-five this morning. Weird tangents. Uh, Is there a flaming version of red for Ireland women's rugby, asks Fergus Keogh. Oh, we're about to find out. It is time at 7.35 for the Gillette Labs performance rankings. I'll tell you about what's coming up later on in the show. But you know it's going to be football, rugby, GA, and everything else. You know, that wasn't an All-Ireland winning performance. Probably should have won the game based on the second half performance. Is it a step too far to say it was the performance so far of the World Cup? Maybe not.
5: OTBAN's performance rankings with Gillette. I'm, I'm, I'm scratching my head. That performance is just lacked that intensity.
3: Boom. Okay, coming up we have Alison Miller, Daniel Harris, Alan Quinlan and Anthony Moyles. Take it away, Shane.
1: Yeah, well, you said it already. We're going to start with women's rugby and... Um I'm not going to use the word abysmal performance, but abysmal result, maybe, I think, probably sums it up quite well. 24-7 defeat for, uh, for Ireland to Italy and Parma. Um, and it looks like a wooden spoon showdown with Scotland in a couple of weeks' time. But first, it's going to be a round uh, four game against England next Saturday, April 22nd. And you'd be a bit, little bit concerned, I think, uh, about that game. Um, the match of the weekend, Ireland early on, I think you can agree, would dominate possession, dominate the territory. But they just couldn't finish. Uh, The line-out was very poor, woeful, you might say. Um, And and Greg McWilliams, after the match, used the word clinical a number of times. And the lack of uh, clinical finishing from this Irish team, they just couldn't seem to get over the the whitewash at any stage um, with any conviction. Um, Put passes together. There there, there doesn't seem to be a winger in the team that can really take players on either. Um, He made three changes to the line-up for the previous game, but there's so much inexperience. And this point was made on television and in plenty of punditry around the game afterwards. Clearly this Irish team don't have as many caps as maybe some of the, the other teams in the Six Nations this year, and yet... That's a choice, though. you should
3: point out that they, they're picking players who have fewer caps than picking players who have more caps who could have added some experience, and they could have, they could have chosen not to have the inexperienced team be lambs to the slaughter in the way. So that, that's not like oh, you know, that's, that's a strategy that yeah. they have decided on, and that's their choice, and that's their responsibility. Even the, the try yesterday
1: was a penalty try. They've got 15 yeah. points in total in the Six Nations so far which is, which is really uh, per. Gregory Williams speaking afterwards he was like I can't fault the, fault the effort of the players they've been outstanding we look at what we have to do to get better this was the theme of his uh, post matches as well we need to continuously get better and that's what we ask of our players I'm very proud of them coming away from home losing I know how they feel uh, he, he referenced some p- positives from yesterday as well Nicola Friday speaking up in the dressing room Sam Monaghan and Lauren Delaney he uh, pinpointed and named as well as players that had decent performances uh, and he said he had to say very little in the match beforehand or at half time, but maybe more needs to be said now because the performances just haven't been good enough. Totally,
4: and the fact that, like you say, Shane, the try was a penalty try, you know, and like how Ireland didn't score in the stoppage time in the first half when they were on the cusp of the Italian try line and then drafted it themselves, and that summed it all up. And like even just like very basic statistics, like last year Ireland won this game twenty eight three they've won 19 of their previous 22 encounters with Italy and to be beaten so comprehensively like think Dinka had a field day out wide, and could have scored more than her two tries and just the fact that there's no real cohesive plan in attack or there's no off the cuff plan there's no um ingenuity, spark of individualism and creativity out wide or even in the centres um, and just the constant change and even half-back partnerships, there's just real no cohesion. The only thing you could say about this Irish team is that they have great spirit and work great, but like, how sick of we are we of saying that about Irish sporting teams in a global scale over the years? You know, we're going way beyond that and unfortunately, you look at the men's Irish team, you look at the women's Irish team and you can't help but compare where they are and it's just, like, you know, we were saying at the pre-show meeting and like, you know, Cathy McTominay herself was pointing out, like, there's been a lot of positivity since this result, and really, we should be way more honest with ourselves and not even patronize ourselves to the
1: fact that, like, this is nowhere near good enough, and it goes to show that we're miles away from where we should be. The point is as well, wasn't the ambition beforehand? We previewed the women's Six Nations, and the, 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 and I think Greg himself had said that the ambition was to finish third. They're so far off being the the uh, the team just behind England and France that. It's just, like, if uh, you, you, you worry that the game against England next weekend is going to be seismic in terms of result, Ireland are not going to win that game. Let's not, let's not kid ourselves here. Oh, the spread could 100%. be 70, 80 points. 100%. Yeah. I'm concerned that it could be, that they could lose by over 100 points. Uh, you'd like to think there aren't enough minutes in the match for that to happen, but performance-wise, things just need to improve. They, they, they can't carry the ball. Um, it's just individual errors at different points. And I don't want to be too harsh because I know that there's a lot of young girls in that team and there were positives that, that uh, Greg Williams rightly mentioned, like Delaney and Sam Monahan, and Derlin and Icavard was brilliant as well,
3: in part. Um, so, look, there are bright shoots there. There aren't. There aren't bright shoots. They're well, not bright shoots. A lot of the bright shoots they're, are, they're, are not, the, they're not bright shoots, though. That's just like, you know, I don't think... I think we shouldn't fall into the trap of, of saying there's, there's, there's nothing... There's actually nothing for them to hang their hat on after a performance like this. Well, the
1: bright shoots are in the sevens, aren't they? There are bright shoots. They're maybe not in the squad, um, for one reason or another. And we know there's plenty happening off the pitch uh, in Irish women's rugby that needs to be addressed as well, and we have addressed it in the show plenty of times, but it, it just leaves you wondering where and when... Things are going to improve. Well, you, you can't separate the two—the off pitch and on pitch.
4: It's, it's yeah. the, you know, that's yeah. This, one is a result of the other. This is what's happening. Like, they're, like they're they're bright. Like, Ethan Dalton is very good. Sam Monaghan was good. And like I said, the team spirit was good. But like that's it's nowhere near good enough. And the worry, like like you say, it the spread against England could be, it could be absolutely terrifying. Like they like England absolutely annihilated Wales. I can't find it at the moment. I'm sure the bookmakers are definitely trying to like thirty one five. You know what I mean? So if you're <laughs> to do basic logic, like you want to look away this weekend and there's, like, what can I get from this weekend? It's uh, probably improved displays in the backline, and just a bit, like, some sort of cohesion and attack would be promising to see. But really, you're looking for anything
1: inside 50 points, and that's depressing saying that. Like, Italy weren't even great. Like, it's not like we're looking at an Italy team here, like, oh, they're they're really drastically improving. Italy weren't fantastic. You know, this this wasn't a, a team that just blew us away. Um... Ireland only conceded six penalties I think across the 80 minutes which is ordinarily if you'd, if you'd said that before the game you're thinking well Ireland are going to win this match discipline is clearly going to be good but didn't matter about discipline really uh, and the discipline of the line-out I don't know what the, the hell is going on in practice in terms of line-outs but um, well the, the Italy line-out wasn't great either but it was just Ireland's worst yeah yeah. set pieces you know. generally uh, like set pieces generally were okay yeah. but definitely not line-outs <laughs> um, all right you be concerned.
3: This is bad. It's getting worse. There's no sign of it improving. And it's going to be a long, slow, hard slog back to uh, respectability as opposed to a
4: winning culture. Do you understand Greg McWilliams' positivity afterwards? Do you understand what he was trying to do?
3: I, I think that uh, he has no choice. He can't come out and go, yeah. this is abysmal. And He's the only it's person who can't. It's going to get worse, you know? Like... Uh, I, I, it's a very difficult situation because, like, the article came out last week and I didn't hear any significant rebuttal from – so he came out and was like, oh, this is all historic. But I didn't hear anybody else from the IRFU coming out. I haven't seen the chief executive come out and there hasn't been, like, a, a an open press conference where David Nusifora sits alongside the new chief executive and, and everybody comes out and says – these are our plans. This is what we're going to do. It's an open forum. You can ask us anything, and we will deal with whatever it is like look at what happened in the Welsh rugby union like they just want to be very careful that the the situation doesn't get out of hand that the The difficulties that are being expressed are are openly addressed and honestly and transparently addressed as opposed to saying oh this isn't this isn't true these." these are uh, these uh suggestions that there is um sexism rife within Irish rugby in the wider terms um that they begin to address that because otherwise you can't like the the results are a manifestation of a decade and a half long uh, attitude and treatment of the game that's the that's the reality of the situation and until they actually come out and say fundamentally we have changed as an organisation and we are still on a transformation journey, we're not finished, we have loads and loads to go, then you're not going to see any uptick in performances. And, and individual green shoots or whatever of, of single individual performances are just going to... They'll, they'll be swamped by by the culture. Well,
1: it, it feels like an Irish women's soccer Liberty Hall moment that has not yet been addressed. That that
3: That is... Well, that, that should ignored. have been the letter to the Irish Times at that time. Was it the Irish Times? Or was it just a general public letter? Or was it, I, however, it leaked? Right, uh, that should have been the moment where they were like, okay, this this is an opportunity for us. But instead, it's been, I don't know. And they'll, oh, we've got we've invested loads of money, and we have we have some. We've got individuals whose job it is to fix this, as opposed to actually culturally, we've got this entirely wrong. And also, the, the Sevens thing is like that's a choice. Their strategy was to send the Sevens team off to qualify, and they haven't qualified yet. And um, as a result what the um the fifteenth performances, which are on terrestrial TV and being watched by everybody, they're getting swamped. And you're like, okay, well you you made the decision to prioritize the seven, so let's let's wait and see. Anyway, look, we're coming back to this in about fifteen minutes time, so let's move on. yeah let's move
1: on and uh, we're moving on to Newcastle and Spurs. Couple of couple of teams that let themselves down a little bit at the weekend. I know we're gonna touch on Chelsea as well, column I think. Um but the Newcastle game is probably a chance for us to big up Aston Villa as well, Joe, don't worry. Uh brilliant performance by Villa Newcastle you'd be concerned I'm just looking at the table here so you have Newcastle uh, and United still driving seat you'd have to say for those top four places but um, Tottenham losing as well just would we'll, we'll concern you Ollie Watkins with the two goals for Villa at the weekend Jacob Ramsey with the other Villa have won five straight Premier League games for the first time since when? 2009 1998 Wow. which is a bit, a bit insane who's manager? John Gregory? could well have been one of those lads there's a lot of Villa managers you, you, you so might I forget about. Have great ones under Martin O'Neill
3: it's it's, I think really, it's five wins in a row, though. That's uh, it's proper uh, leaving up the table territory. Well, true. Um, Villa in the first half were as good as I've seen them. Mm. Like the the atmosphere at half twelve on Saturday morning was absolutely sensational, and they completely controlled the game. In the second half, at the start of the second half, Newcastle came out and started to, to cause a bit of trouble. Martinez had to make a few saves, and it's even kind of slightly better than that. Um, I, I, half time, I was like, this is this is a transformational moment for Villa where whatever happens the control that they've showed the creativity they've showed the quality of football they've showed they're not going to go back and then you're a little bit worried about ooh, maybe but then they just come out and swat them aside yeah and it was absolutely sensational like it wasn't just Watkins it was the whole team it was players who've been dropped at various stages even even Emery has dropped some of the players and now they're back in the team and they're, they're like, John McGinn's arse. Like one of the great sights in world football. And it's in full glorious flow at, um, in that second half in particular. That a goal disallowed for like a hair's breadth of an offside as well. Yeah. And that would have been a hat-trick for, for Watkins if, if that one had stood and he'd scored the two after that as well. But it was an astonishing performance. And it's an astonishing performance by Unai Emery. And this is the one dark cloud on the Aston Villa horizon here. Is that Unai Emery is so bloody good that Chelsea must be looking at him going... Well, hang on a second. He's third in the table since the start of November. Yeah. What? Why? Why is he third in the table? What's he doing? Let's just get him now. I don't think Unai Emery would be. Uh, if you were cancelling him, would you go to the basket case that is one of those other clubs? Not a chance. You got to stick with Villa now because the 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 uh, since Unai Emery arrived, start of the season table, they're just behind Manchester City and. Uh, just behind Arsenal
1: yeah 38.12 wins for out of the 18 games he's been in charge in the Premier League like I was at Emery's first game in charge at Villa Park and that was the the win over Manchester United and you're thinking straight away well it could be new manager bounce but fair play good result turns out it was not a new manager bounce because
3: they're three points behind Spurs (laughs) it's amazing isn't it well like they're they're legitimately I, I actually think Brighton are probably more legitimately in the conversation for finishing top four at the moment uh, and that's why the Evan Ferguson injury is, is actually more concerning for them than just the semi-final of the FA Cup. But, like, Villa have managed to shoot themselves. If this was any other team, if, this, if Liverpool had gone on the run, right, that uh, Villa are on at the minute, everybody would be like, ooh, they're still a dark horse for Champions League football here. Yeah. But, like, they're actually a dark horse for Champions League football here because they just annihilated Newcastle. If they keep winning, and if Oli Watkins keeps scoring, what is he?
1: Eleven of his uh, fourteen goals this season have come in the last twelve games. He's just a man he's on fire. Fun. Unai Emery turned down the Saudis. He rejected approaches from Newcastle. He was their first choice. So th- this could have worked out a hell of a lot differently. us know Eddie Howe felt mid afternoon on Saturday.
4: I've just lost to the manager with first choice for the job. I'm in. <laughs> yeah. You want to have a lot of self belief.
1: Essentially. Um, so what he's done at Aston Villa is just quite remarkable. And, and their rise continues. I know we said we're talking about Newcastle here because they're the ones in the red this
3: morning. but We just had no room for Villa in the green, but exactly. um, Villa, Villa are 100% in the green. I do, like, I, I do think Newcastle can recover from this, but it is one of those bits where actually the big result of the weekend from top four perspective, I don't think Villa are going to make top four just for, uh, for the record, right? But they have suddenly shot themselves into consideration for that fourth spot. I think now Manchester United are going to be grand um, and that's why they're win yesterday and that, that's why that uh, handball is actually a massive, massive decision that's going to, you know, ultimately make Man United loads of money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's good for the Premier League to have a good strong Man United, isn't it? Aye, yeah, what an course. important global brand they are and that's why they uh, always get those results. Um, the other team in the red is is Tottenham. The dramatic
1: 3-2 defeat against Bournemouth. Dango Uratara with a, a beautiful goal, a little bit of a Federico Makeda vibe to the goal. Uh, a player that hasn't been used too much and it was a similar kind of finish cut inside and Curl it in with the right-hand foot into the bottom right corner. Bournemouth now, when you look at the table, they are 33 points with 31 games played. So they're six points ahead of Forrest in the relegation zone and same amount of games played as Forrest as well. So those points on the board could be massive. Uh, and all of a sudden, Gary O'Neill and what he's doing at Bournemouth, uh, you have to be impressed. But how could anyone be a Tottenham fan and still be happy in their regular day-to-day lives? I just don't know. Um, they just let you down constantly. <laughs> when Youngman's son opens the scoring, you're thinking, well, this is this is going to be a good day for Tottenham um, it just wasn't a good day for Tottenham and the performance wasn't great Richarlison's lack of goals is really starting to come, in, to, come to the fore now as well um, you'd just be concerned uh, and you look at the table in, the, in that top four battle you wouldn't back Tottenham to finish top four at the moment certainly four wise How
4: are they still as high as fifth? I know. How we're Aston Villa three points behind him, it just goes to show the, what was happening under Stephen Gerrard at Villa because you know, Emery's doing such an unbelievable job. By the way, does English football owe Emery an apology after the, his treatment when he was Arsenal boss? He got a lot of criticism at that time. He's really well, showing him
3: now. I, I was just reading back over the, the record. He did okay, but then had a really bad transfer window and the team stuttered at the start of the next season. So that one bit that you'd be concerned about is... Um, just making sure that they sign the right players because there's not going to be a huge margin for error for Villa to uh, click into that top six proper next season. But very exciting. I, so uh, Brighton, if they win their game in hand, will be on 52 points, um, which would be four behind Newcastle. Mm. Can they catch them? No, I don't think so. But Newcastle spurs this weekend. So like, why, why could Brighton not catch Newcastle?
4: I think Newcastle will as you say already I think they'll react to that I think that was a proper off day against Villa and they'll make amends and I just don't think Brighton are going to catch them up having said that it wouldn't be the biggest shock in the world if they did I mean they were stupendous against Chelsea again another brilliant performance with Brighton mm. but I think Newcastle have a lot of muscle memory from how they recovered this season look at the League Cup final they were insipid in that game and they weren't great going into that match and they've been very good since then don't think they're going to let it slip in terms of finishing above Brighton I mean I'm still like Jeez, like, who's going to get that fourth place? Like you said, Manchester United, I think, are safe now, just looking at the table here in front of me. And then you are looking at, like, Liverpool are probably too far behind now. They're five points behind Brighton in eighth. Um, Brentford have slipped away completely. So then you're looking at Brighton, Villa, Tottenham, Newcastle. (laughs)
3: Liverpool have to win their two games at hand to be level with Villa. Yeah.
4: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like... From experience alone, you'd say Liverpool should get a fourth. But
1: How many seasons do we get a title race, a top four battle and a relegation? Yeah, know so The like, Premier League this season has been excellent. We, we really are bad. so lucky this season to have that. Um, I think what summed up the Spurs' performance the weekend was Davinson Sanchez's performance. He was on the pitch for 23 minutes, replaced then by Dan Juma. Hugo Lloris spoke about it afterwards. He was booed by the fans. I've never seen this in my career, Lloris says. I feel really bad for Davinson. He's a teammate, he's a friend. He's been fighting for the club for many, many years now. Uh, the story is sad for the club, the fans, and the players. So, when you see players like uh, Davinson Sanchez getting booed by the fans, you know things aren't right at Tottenham. Um, and and Stellini, Christian Stellini said during the week, we have to approach every single one of our last eight games or whatever it was in the Premier League like a final. And then they go into the match against Bournemouth and they lose three two. So, concerns, concerns. But Newcastle and Spurs, I think, deserve it. I think in the, they in the should red. replace Stellini till the end of the season. I think they should
4: get someone in. Company is the favorite. No, I think between now and the summer, like for the last seven games yeah, I think they should get someone I, I don't think they're going to get fourth under Stellini I, I, I think they should be working now to I'm get, sure Daniel Levy is, is working in. on
1: that at, the, at, the, at this moment like I don't know
4: what he was announced for the rest of the season but like the Newcastle game's approaching they have the rest of this week to sort that out I think they'd be mad not to look for an alternative to help Stellini even
1: mm, make a change do you want to move on to Amber? we're still talking football Go ahead. We've got a bit of Arsenal action. Sorry,
3: quick one. Any Sorry. news on Evan, lads? Asks Chris Kyle in um, no specific news. An ankle injury multiple weeks is what Deserby yeah. is saying. Fairly similar to the language that they used after his um, previous ankle injury. So Two to three seems to be the suggestion. Yeah, it's a that massive that, shame. FA no, up semi final. Not that official. Um, and so, you know, you would hope that there's some possibility. But that how it's good was he? Hits
4: the, it's the crossbar with a brilliant effort, Ferguson. Nearly scores when he gets injured and he was excellent. There were 1-0 then when he went off. Welbeck scored. His replacement scored within 3 minutes of coming on the pitch, but mm-hmm. Ferguson was uh, tearing Chelsea apart. And uh, and match of the day I was noting how much they were rating this young man Evan Ferguson. Yeah. And like we were saying last few weeks like is is he going beyond the Irish analysis of oh my god, we have a team replacement and it seems to be that the rest of the football world is starting to notice that this teenager seriously
3: has a future yeah Brighton's scouting is obviously better than everybody else at the minute because they've got two teenagers at the moment oh my god that goal if they could keep them together for the next couple of years and you get the post you'd be like right, things are going to be pretty good for these yeah
4: Uh, Ferguson should go nowhere Deserby should go nowhere keep this project alive it's only getting going don't go anywhere turns out scouting works yeah absolutely It's one of the honestly goal of the season contenders in Seasol's finish because if you look at it, he takes one touch and the ball's going away from him to the right. So that's a really tough shot to um, pull off because you can easily scuff that near a post. But the trajectory of it, oh, it was beautiful.
1: One for the cameras. Sword up. Yeah, Uh, We'll go to the Amber. We'll go to Arsenal because uh, another two-goal lead that just dissipated uh, quite quickly against West Ham at the weekend for uh, Mikel Arteta and his team. He says afterwards, we have to remember we are still top of the league with everything in our own hands. Um, and Martin Odegaard uh, kind of echoing those sentiments as well after the game. Some people already right now of Arsenal are saying this is a sign of mental fragility, this is a sign that they're not ready for a, a battle for the title and this is a sign that they're not experienced uh, in terms of winning a title, uh, whereas Man City are. But uh, I wouldn't be that concerned just yet. I know they had the two-goal lead, the sack of penalty was uh, fairly brutal. That's the turning speak. point of the season. The, the penalty. Oh my God, that was for three, one minutes later it was two all. Yeah, things can happen quite quickly in football. Manchester City
4: it? are going to win the league. You're
1: they're that they're talk- going to win the league. Yeah, they, would-
4: there's no way they should be in amber. It's just that we didn't have enough reds, right? Oh, it's it's extremely dark amber. It's to it's, the point where you're looking from a distance, it's like that's that red.
1: Alads, hold on a minute here. Now, what are you talking about, Shane? Come on, like oh, they, they, they still have to play Man City, exactly, yeah. which gives them an opportunity. That's exactly. the worry. That's exactly. the worry. Wednesday week, they've, got, they've got Southampton at home on Friday night. Yeah. What what a game to bounce back. Yeah,
4: I, I agree. The with perfect
1: fixture to bounce back. Yeah. So get the win there and yeah. go into the Man City game with a little bit of renewed vigor and confidence, surely. I know it's at the I know it's at the Etihad. I understand that, but but Arsenal are still in the box seat. Look at the table, like Arsenal, what four points clear of City, City of the game less played. Exactly, it is going to come down to that. Look game. at the goal yeah.
4: difference, City are far superior. There's no way that Jack Grealish isn't talking to Roy Keane in the last day of the season and reflecting on another title win. <laughs> like they've blown it. I I thought Arsenal did brilliantly at Anfield. I thought the 2-0 was fair enough because they could have lost that game at Canati. If Kennedy's chest was a bit stronger, Liverpool would have won that game, 3-2. But yesterday, in title terms, is unforgivable.
1: Arsenal like, are only focused on their League, lads. City have the Champions League, City have the FA it's, Cup. It's, it will matter.
4: It, that's worse. They have no distractions, Arsenal. They're out of all the cups. But they, no, they, no lost distractions the sport. they should never have lost the sporting. And all they have to think about is, oh my God, we've lost four points from our last two games like that's all they're thinking about
1: what if Erling Haaland uh, pulls a hamstring or does his Achilles in a uh, championship Julian Alvarez doesn't,
4: doesn't matter they have so much yeah. going for them. Greedish is the form of his life Riyad Mahrez isn't even starting and he's excellent all, like there is there's not a world where Sorry. Arsenal win
3: the title City have clicked it's game over should, should, have, been should a have been in the red here as I said yeah. is this is red 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 all red it's not. It's red. not all doom and gloom, Arsenal fans. Don't
1: don't listen to these. It teams. is. Just, oh, I'm just sorry. Just they've yet.
3: got Champions League football to look forward to next season. <laughs> they're going to be able to uh, sign whoever they want. And, uh, it's a big deal. Like it, it's a it's a step up the ladder, and there's still enough crisis at the other clubs to make you think at the start of the season they will be Manchester City's nearest title challengers next year. But it's game over. The question is: Has it been a
4: brilliant season for Arsenal? They would have obviously taken second at the start of, of the season, but the way cool. it's gone. It's a disappointing season. That's the debate they were having on Sky Sports yesterday. Roy Keane, Gary Neville, Jimmy Floyd, Hasselbank. Neville in the camp of good season for Arsenal. The two lads saying they've ruined
1: it. Let me paint you a very quick picture. So Arsenal, as I said, four points ahead with a game extra played. Arsenal beats Southampton this, this Friday. They go seven points clear of City with two games extra played. They go into next week, midweek, with two games extra played with a seven-point advantage. Mm-hmm. Get a draw at the Etihad. Just get a draw. Right? Then you're seven points clear. Still. I, there's relax Arsenal fans just get a draw at the Etihad you can get a draw even if you go 2-0 up you'll end up drawing 2 all because that's what Arsenal do
4: I go as far as to say even if Arsenal don't lose at the Etihad that City will still win the league
1: even, so if Ars- okay. I think
4: Arsenal will slip up elsewhere
1: I think we're getting ahead of ourselves it's, it's in their heads now yeah fair I'll take your point but, but I still think the title race is on I'm trying to be optimistic for Arsenal fans out there
3: the other thing I saw somebody uh, at 2-0 going ooh this is a real good opportunity for Arsenal to close that gap in terms of the scoring difference It's like mm, That tweet didn't age very well Did it? And if, you, and if teams are
1: thinking About scoring difference Then they're in a bad place You've got to be Points on the board lads Forget about the goals Just win the game um,
4: I know we have to move on But like, Arsenal were brilliant At the start of the game Just like they were Against Liverpool So they have all the talent In the world It's just the mental side they, It's probably too early For them to win the league With this squad they could do it again Next year
3: Second isn't a bad result don't win the Well I Everybody said the same thing about Spurs when they pushed Leicester, and that never happened. You know, you've got to take the window of opportunity really? when it arrives. And also, there was a flakiness around Man City at the start of the season when they were trying to work out how to make Erling Haaland work. That might not be there next season. City might start next season with 15 wins, and, like, the season will be over by Christmas, and we'll be like, oh, yeah, oh, that was a kind of weird situation, wasn't it? Where actually Lash there the was an opportunity for somebody else to win the league who isn't Man City. That's yeah, true. I have more faith in this Arsenal side, though.
4: I than do. Spurs yeah I do I think it's an geez, st- they, have a, they have a brilliant squad no it Spurs are an excellent squad next too. season
3: they're going to have Champions League football week in yeah. week out but they'll improve their squad I think uh, yeah they'll so have to improve it massively yeah yeah alright let's go to the green and um, a woman who
1: has been so close and, mm. and one of those mentions that we are we going to her first yeah. Rashida Adalecki. Uh deservedly so the uh, the talla 20 year old what a weekend for her um, just a day after breaking her Irish 200 metre record what does she going to do? She becomes the first Irish woman to run below 50 seconds for the 400 metres. She's only taken up the 400 metres very, very recently in comparison to a lot of uh, runners out there that she's competing against in these races. Um, and the fact that she was able to run so fast. So this was at the uh, Tom Jones Memorial Invitational in Florida. Not that Tom Jones, I don't think. Uh, she was running for the University of Texas. She runs 49.90, finishing second behind Briton Wilson. Um, that was an American runner who beat Adelecki back in March uh, over a similar distance. Uh, It took 0.43 off her previous best for the distance, which was also the Irish record. That was back in February. So she's not just breaking her records, she's obliterating records. These might sound like marginal uh, shades of seconds, but they are quite significant to these uh, distances. Um, She said in March she's still unsure what her limits are in 400 meter racing. Uh, But if you compare um, what she's done, it, it just... Is quite incredible, and you're starting to get a little bit of excited about Olympic Games and and her age profile as well. Um, I know Michael Johnson was tweeting about her quite recently. We mentioned on the show and giving her little tips in terms of keeping her arms uh, straight and using her arms more while running. That was really interesting. Yeah, that feedback. If she starts using her arms properly,
4: she's going to be even better again. And it seems like every single weekend, like you said, she, like she's somehow not making these let performance rankings, and she's just creating record after record. And we were in our own chat this weekend and our own Dara put it into the chat like we have to put that in now. Because it was another record. And when
1: I saw it, I was like, oh, yeah, here we go again. I
4: thought it was an old article. But that's how frequently she's breaking her own record.
1: <laughs> that 400 metre time, by the way, had she been in Tokyo in the Olympics, she would have been sixth with that time and fourth place in last year's Worlds. Now, clearly runners are getting faster, but it kind of just highlights where she is. So she would have been in the Olympic final 400 metres and she's only taken up the distance. So
3: that just sums up how fast she is really weird decision not to bring her to the last major championships remember the time and they were like oh no I remember that uh, like what was going on somebody needs to be uh, that decision needs to be revisited but also shows the benefit maybe of the US collegiate system which kind of had maybe fallen off as a, a a life ambition for a lot of Irish athletes saying oh you can you can stay at home and you can really be world class but whatever um, the quality of coaching she's getting is is obviously helping
1: those facilities. I've been to those athletic facilities in the University of Texas in in Austin, and and uh, I once did a couple of laps around it. I was staying in Austin by myself doing a, a documentary on space. I said I'm going to go go at night time and do a few laps. What I didn't realise, I was just thinking, is there's going to be a load of like general joggers out? Uh, what I didn't realise was well, there were actual national and international athletes sprinting past me on this unbelievable spongy track. And I was like, what am I doing here? I must look at this pasty Irish guy going. No, this is ridiculous. So she has facilities there She's got talent She's got people behind her She's only 20 years of age um, And if she keeps splash, smashing records like this I don't think we can Possibly yet Fathom what her ceiling is
4: Well yeah Objectively we're looking At another world class Irish athlete it's A lot to get excited by
1: Hype train Like Evan Ferguson We're going to Choo choo Let's do it yeah. Let's choo choo onto the, the other green Because uh, uh, The small matter of um, Monon and Tyrone In Oma yesterday At Healy Park I was there myself In the main stand Quite excited, let me tell you. Sorry, can I ask you, because I need to set this up for you. Yeah. When Ryan 2 picks the ball up,
4: 1-on-1, mm-hmm. Lionel Morgan from a tight angle, what's your first thought?
1: My, my, my immediate first thought was, oh, this is very similar to the position in which you got the ball against Mayo and buried the ball, but this is a totally different scenario. All I'm thinking was, and I was screaming it internally, fist the ball over the bar. We've had a good second half. We'll take them to extra time and we'll beat them in extra time please, Ryan, fist the ball over the bar. And then he kicks it through the legs of now an Morgan and I lost my, lost my mind. And he said that afterwards, too, that the first thing in his mind was to fist the ball over the bar. And he thought, all right, I'm one-on-one with Morgan, why not? You know what I would say about this? So you'll have to know I'm, a, I'm an optimistic, fairly optimistic person. I generally tend to be optimistic naturally. I don't have to force it. Um, Monaghan people generally are optimistic. I think as a, as a folk, it's because we're at the, boor- at the border there. We're quite entrepreneurial. We're quite... Uh, ingenious when it comes to little ways of making a few extra quid, possibly. <laughs> We're uh, quite ingenious. Yeah, 100%. But Monon people are eternal optimists. But look at the way Monon. Five, five years out of the last nine, staying up on the final day of the league. It's all over yesterday when McCurry puts that last point over and gives, them, gives her own the one-point advantage. There are 30 seconds left on the clock. And then the goal wins the game. They don't even bother with the extra time. There's a quote in, in Breaking Bad, Lads, where Walter White is talking about his cancer and going to get his treatment, and he's driving to the hospital with his family, and he just wanted every traffic light to turn red, but he kept hitting the green lights, and he was like, for once in my life, would the traffic lights just not go, go red? Yesterday I was driving home in traffic with all the other Monaghan fans through the Ballygally roundabout, through Ochnitcloy, through Garvahi, and I was absolutely loving the traffic. All the Monaghan fans were just coasting through life in the lovely evening sun, heading home to Monaghan, through Tyrone, all the little villages and towns of Tyrone, and... Um, the traffic just didn't bother me.
3: So are, you, are you beeping the horn as you go?
1: a little bit. The little uh, uh, uh. The finger up. Yeah, hundred percent. It was. It was With just finger up. Sorry, which finger up? Just the the little wag. You know the country wag. You have know, the hand on the wheel. You do that. Are we lad? Um, one eighteen, Monaghan two seventeen. What a what a like. What an advertisement for Ulster football. Who said Ulster football is crap and dour? Five points
4: down at half time as well. It was impressive. You might want to do a shout-out for Conor McManus, would you?
1: Oh, we go. I mean that free kick at the end. Um, to give man the the advantage once more was remarkable. He sends Beggin Beggin back where he came from. Uh, Beggin had missed a couple of kicks. He I thought Beggin's distribution second half from kickouts was brilliant, all bar one or two kicks maybe. Um, but McManus just to have the the Conies to to take that out of the hands and and, and knock it over. Even Kilpatrick, the throw midfielder who was kind of saying things in his ear as he was about to kick it, McManus po- uh, literally goes over to him and says something back to him after he's kicked it over the bar and Kilpatrick all he can do is, is smirk Carlo O'Connell's running game was outrageously good um, Stevie O'Hanlon I mentioned him last week as a, as a, as a person who has go back into the Monaghan squad I think I was asked what Monaghan's chances were against Tyrone and I, and I pinpointed Steve O'Hanlon as a, as a someone Mihal Bannigan as well who scored a brilliant point in the second half Connor McCarthy was largely quiet for, for uh, portions of the game especially in the first half and he pops up with two brilliant scores uh, in the second half McManus described Rory Began as the quarterback uh, at the end of the match and you see him bombing forward with the ball in hand reaching the Monaghan 45 metre line and, and that pass into Carl Gallagher diagonally uh, for the first Monaghan goal Gallagher lays it off to Stevie O'Hanlon and O'Hanlon does what he does he looks one way shimmies beats
3: Conor Myler by the way yeah I uh, mean it was uh, like uh, uh, every aspect of that was absolutely thing. class because it was not an easy thing does what he does like yeah I mean <laughs> against Tyrone <laughs> yeah. with everything on the line Monaghan were two points down at that
1: point so to score the goal, all of a sudden, modern are thinking, "Well, we have an advantage now. Let's let's change the, the way the approach to the game." And they did have a change of approach. They said, "Let's let's play on our own terms in the second half. Let's
3: play in the front foot." Uh, I do think that we probably um, because we're living through the Conor McManus era, and there's been other great forwards of his generation. But like, he's he's entering a new pantheon of conversations. Like, just to be able to do this at this stage of his career is remarkable. Yeah. Like. Uh, at this stage of their careers everybody else was slowing down you know and becoming bit part players or changing their roles going out to play centre forward and like be the quarterback of the team instead of like no I'm going to kick the 9 points (laughs) against Tyrone
4: 9 from 9 at 35 years of age (sighs) it's ridiculous when I mentioned his name I was just thinking Managhan's Mount Rushmore and how solidified he is as possibly the top spot Penny Corrie said afterwards, "He's
3: Monaghan's greatest ever player." it wasn't even a, like, and you'd be like, "Of course he is." Now, now you're kind of starting to have conversation. Actually, you know what? To do what he did for Monaghan, uh, all those years, like where does he, where does he begin to rank in all time, mm. all time great forwards? He's in conversations. He has to be, One and that, we can get back to it for
1: sure. The point was made. He's that's his sixtieth championship start in a row. That's, yep. that's outrageous since he made his debut in 07 it's been well publicised that he never played County Minor didn't make Minor was a skinny wing half back before they decided oh this lad can actually sh- he can actually shoot let's put him up in the full forward line and the half forward line at first but uh, it just worked he's outrageously good and uh, the, that second half performance the Monohan Derry semi-final in Ulster is going to be a cracker mm-hmm. uh, it's going to be a totally different game but uh, looking forward to it very good
3: Derry are delighted by this by the way they're like yeah, you guys off you go you, you enjoy that crack now <laughs> we were like amazing by the way we 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 fixed all the problems that we had the previous time the last time you saw us against Dublin for example we now have forwards and a a style of playing in the forwards so we shall see yeah going to be a good game Three seventeen, I think Gary put up so yeah modern in
1: the red sorry not in the red modern will never be in the red this year lads it's going to be a long summer modern in the green
3: that's the performance rankings OTBAN's performance rankings with Gillette Ah, uh, everyone didn't think Spurs were going to go on and win the league. Nowhere near the quality or age profile of this Arsenal squad, says Dennis Ryan. There was definitely a sense that uh, this is a season of building for Pochettino and for Spurs and everything's going to be okay and, you know, we're coming forth and blah, blah, blah. So it didn't happen. A reminder, Braeburn Coffee is the official coffee partner of Off the Ball. Braeburn Coffee coming to an Apple Green store near you. New Braeburn locations are popping up every month, so visit applegreenstores.com forward slash Braeburn to find your nearest Brayburn coffee experience. After the break, Alison Miller on Ireland's defeat against Italy. OCB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition, available now. Italy beat Ireland by 24 points to 7 in the Six Nations at the weekend. Alison Miller is with us now to um, talk about the game and just the general context of everything that's going on at the moment. Alison, I think there was probably some hope that the team would put in a performance uh, somewhat inspired, somewhat in answer to the Telegraph article and the controversy that surrounded it. But really, they're just not in a position to do any better than they did against Italy, are they?
6: No, but at the same time, it was the first game this year where I felt they were in it, that they could have actually they were competitive and that like at times I felt, oh God, they could score here and they could come back into and they could potentially win. Not felt that in any other game this year. And yeah, we're just going to have to be realistic about where this team are at now and be patient. Now, that's not saying it's giving excuses for poor performance. It's it's been realistic. Uh, I think the girls, the players would say that themselves, that they're not where they want to be yet. So, um, yeah, it was a tough week for, for the team, I'm sure. Um, a lot of negativity surrounding the women's game for quite a while now. Um, so I'm not sure a young team might have affected them. Maybe it didn't. Some of them, who knows? We don't know. So, um, but at the same time, they were very disappointed to lose to Italy But there was improvement. And look, people are going to say, oh, you can't keep saying there's improvement. That's true. Like, they're not winning games, end of. But the only way to measure success for this team at the moment when they're losing games is by the individual parts of the game, the process, because they're not winning games. So we can't say, oh, you know, you can't, you know, they've lost three out of three. It is what it is. So um, unfortunately, we just got two measure the game for what we see in the individual components.
3: And in those individual components, are you seeing it enough to suggest that the team is, one has talent and potential and then is also being well coached?
6: Um, Like, it's interesting because there's a lot of talk about, now I'll get to that question in a minute, but there's a lot of talk about the team being young, but an interesting stat is Ireland, Italy and Ireland had an average age of 26 Years of age, when you added up all their ages on both teams, so it's probably more about an experience than age. If their their you know their average age of both teams is twenty six, and um, it's nearly like they're improving each week, but it's like too late. Like it's you know there's parts coming together that you would have hoped maybe that was happening nine ten weeks ago. So they seem to be chasing, um, chasing their their improvement is 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 too far behind where we wanted it. Like, we would have wanted the rate of improvement or been doing that in the camps. But, um, unfortunately, the Celtic Cup, which was on, probably wasn't a help to this Irish team, which we would have thought it was at the time because the standard was quite poor. So it probably didn't benefit this Irish team as much as we would have hoped. So, um, I think, you know, Greg McWilliams coached me. He's a very good coach um, in that... He's very creative, but I think they're probably at a position now where they obviously don't have the sevens girls. And I think at the weekend, um, what we were lacking, especially in the back line, was someone to finish. um, A back that can beat someone one-on-one and finish. So there's no doubt, um, and that's no disrespect to the players that are there, but if you had a babe and Parsons on an end on a particular move, She's a person that can make things happen and beat people one to one, and that's what I felt we were lacking. Those players are on their own journey to try and qualify for the Olympics, and that's the massive thing. Um, I suppose we're um, hoping to see more players come through, um, you know, in the future that we have. You know that it's not a massive issue when we have girls gone to the sevens. Can
3: I ask you? Can I ask you about the Olympics, right? Because um, yeah. I, I, I am a different. Uh, uh, age from people who've kind of got into sevens rugby. I certainly was never part of... When I was a kid growing up, there was the Six Nations and uh, there were World Cups and that's kind of what our rugby culture was based on. And I understand that there is a new generation who are mad into the sevens and follow the fortunes of the team and, you know, they're on YouTube and they're, and it's a, it is a different They're trying to do something different to it. I, I don't really... Even if if Ireland go to the Olympics and do well in the Olympics, I'll feel the same I would about the golfers winning a medal in the Olympics. Fair play, happy for you, but it doesn't really matter because it's not the athletics in the Olympics or it's not like the boxers in the Olympics, which is the peak of their sport. For me, the peak of rugby is the Six Nations and the World Cup. And we had a team that was competitive in the Six Nations and the World Cup. And we decided to go over here and chase this shiny thing and I, I don't know, Did like, did you grow up dreaming of being a Sevens Olympic champion?
6: I didn't dream up of being any rugby player because, I mean, I got to rugby late, like every one of us at the time. But maybe I was in a, I'm in a different position. I grew up doing athletics and Gaelic football, very different sports. But um, Olympics would have been a big thing in athletics. So for me, when I was playing rugby, Sevens was all about Olympics. You know, I would have liked to have got to the Olympics Um Liked playing on the World Series, but for me, sevens is all about Olympics. And if I could have gone to one Olympics, fantastic. But rugby, yes, to everyone out there, to the majority of people out there, it's about World Cups and Six Nations. And my husband played rugby all his life, and you know, play AIL and all that. And he'd have no interest in watching sevens. Like, um, and it's funny because when I was playing sevens, you know, back when I was, and I might be playing a Six Nations, you know, the general people like me meet out out where I'm from, Lee should be like, why are you not playing the Six Nations? Where are you? Like, they wouldn't have, they wouldn't know that you're playing um, Sevens. So, yeah, I think there is, like, for example, my brother would be not a massive rugby fan, wouldn't, like, he's a soccer and J, and he came to watch me in Hong Kong at the time, years ago, and he much preferred to watch Sevens, because, um, for him, he just preferred watching it. There wasn't maybe the interest of the scrum and line out and different things. He just, you know, so, I don't know, maybe there's a different audience. it will be a massive thing for the girls to qualify, 100%. But, yeah, like, if we're being honest, I think where most of the interest from maybe the common public and maybe the rugby community would be 15s. But I think if you're an athletic girl and you're going between 7s and 15s, um, you'd probably like to achieve in both if you can. You know what I mean? So I don't know if that answers your question, but... Um, yeah, like I think that's where the tradition lies in our country with 15s.
1: Well, as Jerry said this morning, Alison, that decision not to pick the, the sevens players is a decision. Um, like,
6: and I look, to be honest, I think, you know, when they're chasing Olympic qualification, I think it's the right decision because 2016, the team didn't qualify, which I was part of. 2020 didn't qualify and now they're in a really good position to qualify and they have been mixing with the best teams on the circuit And look, very different games. And I would say a few of the girls can come in and be very good at 15s. And I think there's kind of a hybrid player that can do both. And I have seen unbelievable backs in 15s that don't take to the 7s game. I have seen unbelievable 7s players on the circuit, on the World Series, that don't take to the 15s game. So um, it's not saying that. But there's no doubt that a game-breaker like uh, Dave and Parsons yesterday... And she is like, she's a, she can beat people, but she's quite physical as well. And I kind of felt in the backs, with probably the exception of Aoife Dalton, I thought she had a really good game. Um, Probably lacking a little bit of physicality in her backs as well. So, um, like, what I thought was improved was their defence in terms of their shape and their structure and their ability to get off the line. Probably what let them down was just the ability to finish the tackle. Sometimes they were rapping, And then the people were breaking the tackle. So, like, shape, structure, line speed, intent was much better. But then the ability just to finish off the tackle and squeeze and get them to the ground and finish off the tackle was um, lacking. So there, you know, improvement, but not finishing it off. Um, We also saw, like, our ruck heights on Sunday, Saturday, was very high. And that's something that is just the basics. And that should be better if if the guards were going to be honest with themselves and the coaching, because there was times we made line breaks and then we had, you know, we'd make a really good line break and then we'd have very slow ruck ball because we couldn't clean out our rucks effectively with height, with good ruck height. We were getting into a shoulder battle, you know, which we didn't need to. And then we couldn't then play off that rook, quick ruck ball because our rucks were ineffective. So um, that was an issue um, in that game. And I think we just had we're not being clinical ten meters out when we get an opportunity we're just not able to take it. So um, another interesting stat is like seventy four percent of Italy's players used in this year's Six Nations played in the twenty twenty two Six Nations were only fifty nine percent of Ireland's played in last year's Six Nations. So um, and like the average caps per back for Ireland was ten, Italy was forty four. That's starting backs and the average um caps for the starting forwards in Ireland was 16 Italy was 35 so you're seeing kind of a disparity in like experience which it's like anything I think if you're trying to like I remember coaching girls rugby years ago and when you have everyone coming from the same place it's harder to you know if the inexperience but if you've got more more experience out there everyone is able to kind of feed off that so they're kind of at that position where the inexperience um is all around. Now, there is is experienced girls in terms of an Irish perspective. And look, until we get more games in the summer and more autumn internationals, we can't compare caps to England. Like, I played for 10 years and played in nearly every six nations games and we only have nearly 50 caps. Mm. So, and that was me playing all the time. So we can't compare against England who went off in summer tours and autumn internationals because that's realistically, we haven't done that as a country. Yes, and For, I, ho- I
3: hope that we do do that. Um, that's on the RFU though, not organising those games, not investing in the, not investing in the game. Like I, and, and the point about the caps is interesting, but it's a choice as well in that we're not picking. Yeah, yeah. The experienced yeah, players, yeah. we've decided to, you know, anybody who was part of the old stuff, you can you can head off there now. And it does feel like a lot of the stuff that was written about in the article is is kind of like. Um, a factor of decisions that have been made and a lot of the people who made those decisions are still involved with the IRFU and you're kind of thinking I'm just not not sure the direction we're going in
6: like I think the thing is like what is that quote those that fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it Mm. and I think there is fantastic work being done in the IRFU there is fantastic people working there in the women's game but I think the big thing is I know they said, look, you have to forget about, these are all um, irrelevant because it's in the past. But like any organisation, whether they're successful or not, like you constantly kind of have to ask yourself, what are we doing right? What can we do better? And that's any company, any organisation. You know, you constantly have to just look back and go, what are we learning from? Like, we didn't do that very well in the past. How can we do better? And that's just kind of maybe... And that's, I don't think that's thats what a- any organization should do all the time. So I think maybe there's a little bit of looking at things that happened and seeing, well, we don't really want to let that happen again. So how can we move on? Yes, we're doing really good things, but like, how can we do things better? Because we're co- constantly striving to be better. And I presume the RFU wants to be that organization that, you know, can adapt and evolve and do things better and not be afraid to, you know ask themselves uh, could we do things better there's nothing wrong with that there's nothing wrong with putting your hands up sometimes and saying okay we could have done that better
3: I hope like that's, I hope that, they that's are. a
6: progressive organisation if they do that
3: yeah but I, I'm not I, I you know <laughs> uh, I don't see the evidence of that in what they're doing at the moment and that's the problem I think that um, I haven't seen enough from the IRFU they put Greg McWilliams out to answer this and say it was historic they didn't put David Yusufour out they didn't put the chief executive out and say, okay, okay, we, we thought we'd reached a point where this wasn't going to be an issue anymore. We hoped that this was historic. It clearly isn't, but we're on top of this. Don't worry. And I just, I'm not, I don't yeah, know. Yeah,
6: that, that's the right response, isn't it? That's yeah. a sensible approach. Like, you know, if anyone does that wrong, anyone in our jobs would go, oh, I'm sorry about that. I thought we'd really look to, to really try and improve that instead of sometimes it comes across defensive. You know, um, I suppose the only thing I have to say is sometimes all these stories, they kind of take away, they do take away from what we need to fix is getting better at rugby. But at the same time, we can't ignore the past because that is an indication of how our future goes. Like that's, I'm a history teacher. So you mean we have, like people will always look at history so we don't repeat the same thing over and over again. So yeah, like hands up and go, like, you know, there was a story about the protein. I mean, all I think you have to say was, God, we hope that that never happens again. We'll do everything in our power to ensure that every player, you know, whatever, simple. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I'm no PR person, but I would that not be instead of saying we don't know who the scenario is. Look, but that's near, neither here nor there, because I think at the same time as a player, um, you know, you just kind of have to make things unfortunately. You just have to kind of roll with things, um, at the same time, but not. Ex- it's, a, it's, a, it's a fine balance, isn't it? Kind of not to make excuses for yourself, but to kind of demand change, but to not let it drag you down.
3: Yeah, yeah. And look, all all sports in Ireland in our history have gone through this at every level. Yeah. You know, you think of uh, Roy Keane complaining about facilities. You think of Keith Wood's generation and Brian O'Driscoll's generation setting the standard for what was expected and acceptable in uh, the men's uh, national team and the approach. And, like, so uh, these these teething difficulties could lead somewhere good, but I just want to see some more evidence from the IRFU that they're listening to it. Um, yeah, got- and
6: I think, like, players' voice is really important. And I think, you know, I think a lot of the issues just could be avoided with just a little bit more player input. And that's actually listening to the players. And it's not, you know, it's just, that's a simple thing to do because um, they're the people that you need. You know, you need your players. And I think the women's game is, is really growing in this country. And I think you have to remember that where if you have a club and you're getting more girls into it, you get more memberships, they're bringing along their brothers that might not, yeah. like I was involved in Port Leash Rugby Club and I was involved in underage girls, maybe well, like 12 years ago now, but traditionally we, and you kind of see that in rugby, you'll get maybe girls coming from non-traditional backgrounds, maybe more so than boys, and then they bring along their brothers that yeah. might traditionally never have, so massive opportunity to you know, really drive this women's game and see it as positive thing like you exactly, know exactly like why not like I mean um, we've got to you leave it the there positivity you say like in GA and women's and how you know they really help communities and clubs so let's just try and see it in the positive but um, I think realistically Ireland are going to have a difficult encounter now against England and that's it's going to be a tough one you know
3: yeah Alison good stuff thanks a million for joining us cheers
6: no bother guys bye bye it's
3: Alison Miller giving us some thoughts on the weekend Rugby, and yeah, it's going to be difficult against England. We're going to get hockeyed, and it's just a a matter of damage limitation. Uh, Half eight this morning here, OTBAM, live with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave of your money back. Neonite edition is available now. We have a live UEFA Champions League roadshow in partnership with Just Eat. It's coming your way on the 3rd of May in the Mansion House in Dublin. UEFA Champions League winners John O'Shea and Wes Brown along with Arsenal legend Paul Merson are going to be there on the night. It's sure to be a brilliant night's entertainment. It's an exclusive off-air event and tickets are limited so don't delay. Go to offtheball.com forward slash events. We'll see you on the night. Just Eat, the official food delivery partner of the UEFA Champions League. My favourite comment in here has come from Colin McCarthy
1: talking about Rashida Adelecki. Running those kind of times at the Tom Jones Invitational it's not unusual. I see what they did there. Fantastic. Keep those kind of comments coming in. Puns are always
3: welcome. We don't get many of them. But uh, they lighten up my Monday morning. Keep them them lit. Uh, Daya Shoknestig says, Colin Buig, if Arsenal don't win the title, it's a terrible season for them. Your Manchester United FC bitterness shining through. uh, Cry laughing emoji. And then the other one is just like a laughing emoji. I don't Mm. know. I I think that you're always going to regret not winning it this year. Uh, Right. At 8.31, though, we're saying good morning to Daniel Harris. Daniel, good morning to you. Hi, good morning. Uh, big, big win for Manchester United in the race for top four. It feels safe now on the back of that uh, result. However, the injuries are beginning to stack up for them, so it's not, uh, it's not plain sailing.
2: No, I think um, it felt like when they've always, fairest various points of the season there have been games where you think, if United win this one, it'll be really, really hard for them to make a mess of top four. And they kept not winning that key game that would have given them an extra games difference away from the teams with whom they're competing. But the results of the weekend, I mean, Tottenham losing their home to Bournemouth doesn't suggest they're about to put the kind of run together that will see them retrieve the deficit on United. And similarly, Newcastle haven't, they played really well against United, but they haven't been playing that well generally. And they seem to have been kind of scraping by quite a lot in games. So, with Tottenham and New- Tottenham play Newcastle next weekend, although United are uh, taken up with the cup, it does seem like top four is pretty much sorted. It would take a significant collapse, and you're right about the uh, the injuries, but they do still have enough quality and enough firepower, as we saw yesterday, I think.
1: Uh, Daniel, talk to me about Anthony De Santos, not Anthony Martial, but... Um... Anthony rubs people up the wrong way. He fills a lot of column inches and, and, and airtime for ourselves as well. Um, maybe because his stats haven't been as, as good as United fans would have expected when he when he joined. Um, and yesterday's goal ended a run of six games without a, a goal for him. But all of a sudden his performances are kind of showing us why United paid so much money for him.
2: Uh, yeah, I think we spoke about this when I was on the week before last. I, I think that the thing about Anthony is that he was bought because they think he's going to be a brilliant player. He's already quite good, but I think it's more about the player that you can see he's going to become. I've I've, I've got this piece about Anthony that I started writing probably three weeks ago, and I just haven't had time to finish it, explaining why I think he's good. And it feels like actually, in, in a sense, the way that he's performing on the pitch has almost overtaken me, where if you've been watching Anthony these last few weeks and you still don't think he's any good, then I'm not certain what you're watching and you're probably never going to think he's any good. But what we're seeing from him is we're seeing we're seeing great desire to run in behind and a greater desire to sometimes go on the outside. Of course, he's got that thing that he can do where he comes on the inside. And when you're so good at doing that, obviously you want to keep doing it because his ability to shoot from that kind of angle is brilliant. But what you have to do is the, the defender has to fear that you might be able to do something slightly different. And at the beginning of the season, when... So it was put to ten Tenhuff that he doesn't like to run in behind. Ten Huff said he he can do it, he's got the speed to do it. And we saw that quite a lot against Everton last weekend. But in any event, what you see with Anthony is he gives the team balance. So and I think Ten Huff said this as well that he's playing in a winning team. Uh so that tells you that he's contributing something. And what he has is he has the bravery to always take the ball and he doesn't care if he's gonna get kicked and he's got attitude as well. And that gives the defenders a break. Even even if he doesn't necessarily create anything, he has an ability to hold the ball, to keep possession, to win free kicks. And I think one of the things about Anthony is we shouldn't just look at the way that he performs in this particular iteration of United's team, but think about how Ten Hag is going to want the team to play next season and the season after. And Anthony's style fits in really well with that as they move from becoming a team that's really good in transition, as they were under Ole, really good on the counter to being a team that's looking to dominate games, as we saw yesterday, as we saw against Everton, as we saw for some of the game against Sevilla, where he also played quite well.
3: What's the formation yeah. and, and where does he play in that? So in when they're controlling games, how does the team line up, say, next season or the season after? Let's ignore the personnel for the minute, but what, what's his preferred formation, do you think? And um, where does Anthony fit into that?
2: Well, sort of, I think we—he sort of moved. He started off playing, I think, the formation that he wanted to play at the beginning of the season, which was with in midfield with a six and two eights. And it sort of didn't work quite that well. The defence wasn't settled enough. The team didn't quite understand what he wanted them to do. They didn't have a lot of confidence either. So in the end, it then sort of changed to, from a six and two eights to two sixes and a ten. And that is already more of a transition-based team because you're trying to be solid and then spring. But what they are now is they're more back to a six and two eights. Casemiro and then Bruno and Christian Eriksson. Bruno's playing a bit deeper and they're looking to control possession. And one of the ways you control possession is you put you invert at least one of your fullbacks. And we saw that yesterday. And you also have a winger that can come inside and you're almost creating that box midfield or just creating overloads in the middle of the pitch that then enables you to isolate your opponent's defenders on the uh, in wide areas as they have to kind of funnel players inside as well. Stop you... Uh, walking through them in that area. So the advantage of Anthony is that he's left effort to playing on the right wing. There generally aren't that many of those around, but it means that he's able to come in, come in field, get involved in the play and as Aaron Wan-Bissaka is growing in confidence, he's actually able to help him whether with overlaps or with underlaps and that's given United numerical superiority out wide and in midfield. And I think that the reason they pushed the boat out to sign Anthony was one, you've got to assume that Ten Hag was certain because he knew that you go going to spend 90 million quid on this player and he turns out to be rubbish. You know that the only reason you're signing him is because Ten Hag wants him so much. And he, and so if Ten Hag is saying, I'm prepared to stake 90 million quid of my spends and also a certain element of his reputation because Anthony has played for him before. So he, he knows exactly who that player is. Uh, I kind of always felt confident that Ten Hag knew, knows A, more about football than I do, and B, more about Anthony than I do. And I guess I didn't think that when United, when David Moyes and Marouane Fellaini. So it's not a foolproof system of deciding who's good and who isn't. But I think that Ten Hag knew how he wanted to play. And it feels like he thought that Anthony was crucial to the way he wanted to play. And watching how United play, I can see that. And to bring it back to stats, which is what Colum said at the beginning, of course, you want more goals and more assists. But the team is winning and you can see the development in Anthony's game as he's growing as a player, getting used to the league, settling in England and getting more comfortable. So I think next season we'll see him improve again.
1: Has the performance, Daniel, of, of the defence yesterday, the makeshift defence, albeit uh, allied, any concerns over the absence of the likes of Alessandro Martinez and even Varane for a lesser extent? Um, because Maguire and Lindelof, when you look at that team, you're thinking this is a this is a or Rangnick, back four, but... Yesterday's performance would would perhaps give United fans a little bit of comfort?
2: Um, Not not for me personally. I can't speak for anyone else. The way I see it is that Lindelof and Maguire are good players. They're good Premier League defenders. They are good enough to play for a team that gets into the top four. We know that because we've seen it. My concern with those two isn't their ability to play well enough at Forest away. Maguire started Dodger but he played well after that. It's not their ability to make sure that you beat Forest... It's, I think looking at this season and what's left, it's. it feels like at some point, if if United are reliant on those two in the Cups, then they'll let them down at some point. We've seen it. We saw it against uh, Sevilla when they lost to Sevilla in the Europa League the last time in the pandemic season. And, um, I mean, we saw, we saw it against Villarreal as well in the final that they lost. I mean, Maguire was injured and they missed him in that game. But I seem to recall that Villarreal's goal had quite a lot to do with Lindelof. And if you look at the games that are left, I'm... Um, those two might be good enough for United to go and get a result in Sevilla, in, against Sevilla on Thursday. Maguire's suspended for Brighton anyway, but I think from that game, it will only be it will only be one of the max anyway, because as soon as Luke Shaw's back, I'd expect to see him play at left centre-back, and it'll be one of the other two, because uh, Ten has been quite clear about that, that he sees Maguire as a right-sided centre-back. Lindelof is that as well, really, and Tenhoff likes to have a balance with the centre-back, so left-footer and the right-footer, which is one of the reasons Shaw ended up there in the first place, so I think that those two, if United have to rely on one of those two against City in an FA Cup final, potentially, or maybe in the Europa League um, going forward as well, then that might be a problem. But in terms of finishing in the top four, we've seen that those two are good enough to do that. And that was when they didn't have Casemiro playing in front of them.
3: So next season, um, or maybe at the end of this season, um, uh, when Rashford is back fit, assuming he gets back before the end of the season, uh, what 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 would the ideal scenario be? Probably a better question is next season. Uh, it's going to be Rashford on one side, Anthony on the other, and then a, a central striker. So the central striker is really the priority this summer? Uh,
2: probably. I think it depends a little bit. And one of the problems that United have is that as a final two fingers, the Glazers are hampering the summer plans by trying to scrounge a few more quid out of, out of potential bidders. And we still don't know if they're really going to sell at all. So Ten Hag won't know exactly what money is available. I think that if if Cata take over, then presumably United can go and buy pretty much whoever they want in terms of money. So buying an expensive centre-forward wouldn't affect the quality of the midfield player that they can buy. If it's someone different, or if it's still the Glazers, then you might have a slightly different equation. It looks unlikely that Jude Bellingham's going to come to United, but if United were able to get him, he'd obviously cost a load of money. You might then compromise on the centre-forward slightly because someone like Jude Bellingham, I mean, he, he's Brian Robson, so you, you, you spend all the money that it takes to get him, if you possibly can, I think. Otherwise, what we've seen in the last couple of games, and Tenoch keeps hammering this point. He was hammering at the beginning of the season. Anthony Martial is basically almost the ideal Tenoch centre-forward because the kind of player that he wants, he doesn't want a scavenger, or a goal scorer. I mean, I'm sure he'd like Erling Haaland if he could get him, because he's so good that, again, if you can get him, you just do. But Ten Huff's ideal centre-forward doesn't really look exactly like Erling Haaland. It looks more like Anthony Martial in terms of style. Someone who can come short, hold the ball, retain possession, who also has the speed to run in behind, bring others into play, good finisher, can run with the ball. And Ten Huff keeps hammering this point. He, you can see he really likes Martial as a player. And just in the last couple of games, we've seen exactly why that is because when you have that player, it just brings so much more out of the players uh, to either side. You get much more out of the wingers. And also, if if you've been watching the games, you can see that Bruno trusts him. The balls that Bruno's passing into Martial and then setting off knowing that he might get some decent possession back or that it might go somewhere when it then allows him to make a third-man run is making a massive difference to the team. So it sounds like a ridiculous thing to say, obviously, because feel like I've been saying it for so many years but a fit and focused Anthony Martial is a really really good player the problem I mean the problem this season has actually been the fitness more than the focus I mean yesterday I couldn't believe what I was seeing that United's first first goal came from Anthony Martial scavenging possession high up the pitch and that version of Martial is a really good player so if United were able to rely on him next season then they wouldn't necessarily need to spend the majority of their budget on a striker but I'm sure that Ten Hag, ideal world won't rely on that and he will go and buy a centre forward, which again, I mean, the the most similar centre forward who's on the market is either Harry Kane, but he lacks that little bit of gas and United probably don't want to deal with Tottenham and he costs a load of money. Or uh, Ferguson from Brighton, who uh, I'm sure you guys have a massive interest in, who also looks like one of those all round centre forwards who doesn't have a weakness. The question is whether they would want to go and spend the kind of money that it would take to buy him when he might not be ready to compete at the level that United want or sometimes you go and buy these young players and you think that they're not ready, but they're young and they're brilliant and they just are exactly ready to go and get involved.
1: We understand he's a Manchester United fan as well, Daniel, so that could help.
2: uh, Yeah, for sure. I think that I'm sure that Bournemouth, I'm sure that Brighton will will be getting offers for him this summer. Um, I think that, if they're not offers from clubs of United stature, then chances are they would want him to stay and he might want to stay because he knows that he he doesn't need to take a step before going to an elite level club. He can he, He's good enough to go to an elite level club when he's ready. Um, I think what you usually find with players is that as soon as those offers are available for them, they want to take them because you just, in football, you don't know what's going to happen. You might get injured, you might lose form, and those moves might not be available to you again. And sometimes they go wrong, like, say, Graham Potter going to Chelsea, which didn't necessarily feel like the right fit, but you can see why he took it, because who knows when that offer's going to come again. Or when Wayne Rooney went to Man United, when he was, I mean, he'd done a little bit more than Ferguson had at that age, obviously, but he just took that offer. I remember reading an article from, I think it was David Pleat, who knows more, who's forgotten more about football than I will ever know, who was saying that Gareth Bale should stay at Tottenham another year because he wasn't quite ready for that level. And Gareth Bale then goes and wins the European Cup. And with elite level talents, usually you find that when you chuck them into a pool of, of brilliant players, they manage to swim, they manage to find their way. So the other, the other kind of signing is Victor Oshiman. And I think, if I was Ten Hag, I would be more thinking along the lines of United can afford to leave Harry Kane at Tottenham. If Harry Kane stays at Tottenham, Tottenham are not going to be competing with United for league titles mm. and Champions Leagues, which is what where United want to be. He's been there all this time. Tottenham haven't won the league, they haven't won the Champions League, they haven't got that close to winning the league. They obviously, got to a Champions League final, but they they've sort of they've, they've almost got close to winning the league a couple of times. So Harry Kane, as far as United are concerned, is
1: kind of safe at Tottenham uh, whereas
2: if Victor Oshiman goes to another Premier League club that is not something that you would particularly want I don't think
1: mm. You mentioned Bruno Fernandes there a moment ago Daniel we had um, Kenny Cunningham on commentary for us on this, this match yesterday and he was full of praise for, for Bruno Fernandes after the match said it's as good as he's seen him play in, in, in quite some time back to his best in, in many ways Like he's, he, he's playing with a little bit of consistency now I guess is Bruno, Bruno Fernandes
2: He's always been consistent. Bruno Fernandes is the only player, apart from Nino Messi, since he signed for United, who's got 50 goals and 50 assists. The only player in world football who's done that in that time. He won man of the match yesterday. I think he's won 33 player of the match awards since he joined United. That's one every three games. If that's not consistency, I don't know what is. I agree that he's gone up a level this season, but I think that's as much to do with the team as it is to do with him. That when he played in Ole's team, who are primarily a counter-attacking team it was basically on him to make goals happen. But I always thought that he had the football brain to play a bit deeper because he's got the long passing and he's just got the football intelligence. He sees things faster than other people and he has the ability to change what he's going to do in a split second as the ball's on his way to him. And what we're seeing now is he's just playing in a better team with better players. And so he's playing better. The thing with him is also that, He's always fit I think, I think he's missed one game in his entire career with injury or or one game with illness that's it, and someone you can rely on to always be available and to still pulling it in like yesterday he ran more cover more distance than anyone else on the pitch and i don't think, I don't think I agree with Kenny in that he wasn't just good yesterday he was good in midweek, he was good last week he's been good almost all season, and as his role has changed, he played as a number six against everton and he bossed the game from there and I heard him give an interview with United, on United's official club podcast which is really good where he says that he thinks when he gets a bit older that's the position that he can play and watching him play you, I, you can see that he should be capable of doing that and he's okay. not someone I would ever criticise for inconsistency I might criticise him for he could still have done a little bit more in the very biggest games but okay. when someone's consistently being good with almost all the other games, you would allow them that
3: one. We've got to wrap it there. Daniel, good stuff. Thanks a million for joining us. Cheers. See you again.
2: Bye, everyone. Sarah.
3: Daniel Harris this morning at 8.48. Uh, Colin call is with us. Colin, good morning to you. How are you? my lads. How's it going? What's going on? Well, I would have
1: hand-passed that ball yesterday, I think, across the square. <laughs> I wouldn't have gone for goal. It was like the last option, wasn't it? Yeah. Like, Fist it <laughs> over is easiest. Pass it across is probably second easiest and then yeah. hitting
3: it for goal is the, the one fraught with danger. Uh, it's funny, though, like I heard someone saying it wasn't even that good a shot but it was like. It, and there's been a load of those goals going in in the championship uh, in hurling and in football this year goalkeepers are getting beaten at the near post because they're taking a step like you, you see behind the goals Morgan touches the post and then goes out to get it or is that the first goal am I mixing up have I seen the behind the um. goal I think I have and um Am I mixing that up? first goal was behind where I in from the end line. Yeah, and the stand. Sorry, it, is, it, is, it was the behind the, uh, the goal from the first one. So I don't know, maybe Morgan takes a step mm. and they've done their homework. But the fact that he'd done the same goal like three weeks ago <laughs> against Mayo, yeah. that uh, suggests there's a culture of let's go for goals. Very and impressive. even the conversations they were saying afterwards about how it was just intensity, proper pressure on the kickouts, go for goals in the second half. Mm. Yeah, I, I was watching the BBC coverage and um, it was really interesting. Mickey Hart was beaming at halftime; he was absolutely thrilled. There t- and Michael Murphy was saying, "This is the Canavan performance that we've been waiting for. His, his kind of breakout where one five, like, literally every shot was uh, successful in that first half." But um, Michael Murphy was like, "I think Modern are going to be pretty happy here." I was like, "What? That doesn't make any sense." I thought they were absolutely dominated. And Ushin uh, McConville was, "Yeah, I think they'll be happy enough now. They turn around and they're going to have a big breeze." and Mickey Hart was like lads what are you talking about this game's over I was like I was 100% in the Mickey Hart camp at halftime, thinking this has been like they're just they're like a big brother holding their scrappy little brother off and I don't know it was a matter of keeping with them and then I knew the 1st
1: five ten minutes of the second half were going to be crucial and Moden just started winning kickouts and, and kicking and off scores kicking worldies yeah it was unbelievable yeah, they
5: had that bit of a breeze in the second half too didn't that they? It seemed
1: to help Yeah, it seemed to be reasonably like
5: significant Kick kicked that late free yeah. that he probably wouldn't have kicked if he didn't have the wind with him the-
1: the other thing on that match is and it hasn't been said yet really, Vinny Corey, like that was hired as Monaghan manager after a very long and protracted process where a number of people turned the job down. He's got the backing now of the players, he's got the backing of the fans in Monaghan as well. It's completely polar opposite to what's happened in Donegal basically, everyone has got behind him and he's clearly, you know, he's kept him up in the last game in division one and now they've beaten through the championship, so
3: he's kinda of the Rory Kavanagh. Yeah. Like Character in this whole scenario where he took the job and um probably a year or two ahead of when
1: he wanted to take the job. Joe, you know, he probably wanted to get a bit more experience. He would have before. always,
5: I presume, would have always taken the job at some point. Is that the hundred percent? He'd been a selector
1: yeah. for the previous two years. Yeah, with yeah. Bandy, Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, probably ahead of time. But um, yeah, doing good things. Yeah, what what game?
5: I was a little bit surprised with Tyrone defending that final attack in that they didn't get more bodies behind the ball quickly. I thought when that final point went over that they got at the other end that they were going to win it from there yeah. because I think it was a party McCurry. five <laughs> seconds McCurry's
3: point, which now we're all going to oh. forget about. Yeah. So, but there was a McCurry ball in the second half over to Patrick, which was one of the great GA passes of all Absolutely. time, Absolutely. and you're like, oh, okay, it's just, uh, it's just, yeah. a, it's a complete afterthought in the aftermath of the game. It was a brilliant
5: match. Like that was one of the best football championship matches we've probably had in the last yeah. five or six. The Montenorma
3: game a few
1: years ago yeah. in Ulster was similar. Yeah. In, in the sun, it was a lovely l- open game as well. But but that one probably
3: stands out for me. Just the nine minutes at the end of the game as well. it was like, it was <sighs> supposed to be six, and we're still going here. Oh, they've created another chance, <laughs> so we have to let them take it. we don't. <laughs> no. You actually don't have to let them take that chance.
1: Yeah, you felt like the referee. Sometimes the referees in Gaelic football try to let the game peter out to a draw or some sort of um, tight conclusion. But uh, it was just one of those matches that I, you could not take your eyes off it, especially in the second half. the 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 intensity of it, and I think that was one word Conor McManus used after the match. Consistently, it was just Monaghan knew they had to up the intensity. They're going to have to up it again for Derry, um, but it makes the Ulster Championship just fascinating because either team could win that match. Monan and Derry. Derry have shown some frailties, but they're still an unbelievably good team. Definitely
3: All-Ireland contenders. I do think that if you lose that game, you should not be too emotionally invested in it at this stage. Because I think that now, having beaten this Tyrone side in Tyrone, Monaghan should be thinking, we could win the All-Ireland this year. Well, yeah, you can can certainly make an argument for probably six or seven teams at this stage. Monaghan have to be included in them. Are you going to win against Derry and then win an Ulster final and then win two games to get to an All-Ireland quarter final. that's the thing that's why I'm not too well this is the, the, it puts the jeopardy kind of
1: out the window a little bit you know if you lose to Derry by a point or two but you play really well is that the, the end of the world? probably no not
5: injuries, no injuries and no sentence off
1: exactly the, gra- yeah, the great, great thing about
5: time. it the great thing about it is no one knows how this new format's to going to pan out and squad depth is going to be very important I, I think, think that's the key thing yeah. right I think Galway are in a really good position actually um, mm. they've found new players they have the confidence from last year Yeah, um, they have a lot lot going
1: for them and then I mean you look at
5: Jerome, they lost yesterday okay but like they're going to have four weeks
1: now to really get their act together well, I was impressed by like we already mentioned Derek Hanavan but Matty Donnelly pulling the strings as he usually does um, Brian Kennedy it looks like he, I don't know what Brian Kennedy eats for dinner but that man is the BFG like he is he looks like he was uh, made in a lab he's that big yeah. himself and Kilpatrick in midfield are just uh, brilliant Yeah, uh, and they, they they have the likes of Ronan McNamee as well back in there and, and doing man marking jobs
3: Kilpatrick fist in the point instead of um, oh, taking a basketball. shot there you go that's the difference in winning and losing in the Ulster Championship do you, do you like
1: Rhino too?
5: Anything else, Carl? Just to mention the Camogie finals yesterday. Galway retaining their Division 1 crown. They beat Cork by 2.13 to one twelve. Historic win for Kerry. They won their first title in the Division 2A uh, grouping with a 14 points to 13 defeated Mead. The golf last night went to a playoff. Matt Fitzpatrick holding off Jordan Speed to win the ORBC Heritage. Both players finished on 17 under at Hilton Head. Matt Fitzpatrick with a great shot into the third playoff hole to make a birdie three and win there. Shane Larry ended on 1 over par in the World Snooker Championship later this morning. Irish Interest with Mark Allen in action against China's fan
3: Zhenji at the Crucible It was a big weekend for a uh, lads named Ben Healy because uh, our cyclist Ben Healy um, finished second behind Pochkar in, where was that race? Oh, um, somebody was, it wasn't in Dingle beside you was it? It wasn't, no, somebody was telling us to mention that and I've now absolutely butchered it But um, yeah, this is a breakout second season for him as a professional cyclist. uh, Holland, who's in Holland. We'll keep an eye on on his performances across the rest of the year as well. But at 8.54, Carl, thanks very much for that. We're heading to South Africa. Alan Quillen is with us. Um, Alan, good morning to you. How are you?
7: Morning, lads. How are you? What's going on? Uh, It's hot here. (laughs) It's warm. Um, I think all the... Obviously the, the Munster fans that are here are very happy after the weekend. Um, and the Leinster ones of course as well up in, in Joburg. But uh yeah, it was a good weekend for for the two way uh, teams, Leinster and Munster.
3: The Munster performance was really, really important because it uh it guarantees Champions Cup qualification for next year, right?
7: Well it more or less guarantees, I think, <clears throat> unless Benetton or or Scarlet's can 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 win the the Challenge Cup, it may mean then that you have to finish at least sixth, that seventh or eighth, because of the Welsh Shield, Cardiff will, will probably win that and they'll not be in the top eight of the league, so they'll they'll take a European place and if Scarlets or Benetton, who won't make the top eight either, or to win the Challenge Cup, would mean only the top six who finish in the top six in the league will go through. But, um more, more or less, uh, you would say probably ninety percent sure that that monster will have European rugby next year and and be in the playoffs. I don't think anyone would have expected a bonus point win against the Stormers, and, um It was uh, it was a, it was a great performance. It was full of grit, determination, but but also tactically, they were so much better than we we'll say a couple of weeks ago against the Sharks. You know they. They obviously had a good first half against the Sharks in the the Champions Cup. But one of the big differences this time, I think, was defensively. They weren't conceding tries and line breaks. And I know they got broken a few times, but um, so much better organised. They conceded 18 tries in the previous three games. And um, their defence was a real key. And the other one was probably the breakdown. Peter O'Mahony was phenomenal. Gavin Coombs had a huge second half. But O'Mahony throughout the whole game was just uh, tormenting the Stormers breakdown, and and he was brilliant, as many of the other monster players were.
3: So, what's the turnaround in performance? Where did it come from?
7: I think it came from. Look, obviously, you know, when you when you have a situation where you concede fifty five points, you you look back at it, and players analyze, coaches analyze. So, I think they would have looked at the the Sharks game. Obviously, the Heat played a. You know, role in that and the humidity in Durban um, and they were playing against a very powerful side so um, people often ask how do you stop that power and physicality and well you've got to get in early and and stop them getting their rolling mall going and, and really be on the money at the breakdown and be accurate and, and your execution around ball placement all that kind of stuff so I think Munster were so much better at that and um, there was moments in the game where the Stormers flexed their muscles and, and it was worrying. But the start of the game gave them confidence and belief. And um, I just think their breakdown was so much better. Their their speed of movement on the ground to get in, support players, um, recycle the ball. And, and tactically, they, they, they played very well. They made some mistakes and errors. I'm sure they look back in it. But they they were a real nuisance. Uh, to the Stormers breakdown for the whole game and defensively they were, they were connected and they got good line speeds and, and didn't allow the, the Stormers kind of play their game that they're, they're so good at. Um, They're very, very quick and you know, they're an ambitious side who throw the ball around a lot. So didn't really get, let the Stormers ever get into that flow for, for a long periods of time and came up with many big moments in the game. I think, the most crucial part for me was that ten minutes after after half time, easily could have dropped the heads because you know Stormers had that surge of pressure and scored just before half time to make it twelve all. And the crucial part then was those ten minutes in the second half. Stormers had three or four opportunities. Peter O'Mah- Mahoney steals one line out. Um, they kick to the corner, the five meter line. out Peter Mahoney steals it on the far side of the field. Um, Gavin Coombe steals a ball in a mall that the referee, nobody knows how he got it, but they turned it over. And then the Calvin Nash tackle in the corner on uh, Senatla, I think, or, or Har- Hartzenberg. I'm not I'm not sure. I can't remember which one of the wingers it was, but he made a brilliant tackle in the corner. They got those breaks. They They kind of created their own little bit of luck as well, because you see Shane Daly had a similar type break and he scores the try. Um, so they, you know, that 10 minutes after half time won the game for Munster and um, they were superb. I think they could have easily dropped the head. So obviously there was a lot of desperation and, and that can fire you up and drive you on. But they played really well tactically as well. And, um, you know, it was amazing for them to get a, a bonus point win given their form coming into this game.
1: We should give a special mention as well, Quinny, to your fellow Tipperary man, Jermyn Barron. A couple of, couple of tries and an impressive performance overall, I think.
7: Yeah, right across the board, I think. But, um, you know, he played very well. He got two tries, and their monsters' Mall was really good. It started brilliantly. R.G. Snyman, John Klein, they kind of had big games as well. They're big players. Um, obviously, you know, people are going into the game talking about the front row and the worry and the concern there uh, based on what we saw the last day. Stephen Archer had to play 80 minutes. Phenomenal. Uh, Keenan Knox comes on for Gavin Coombs at the end of the game. But, Jeremy Lachman as well. Um, he hasn't played in a while. He was outstanding. He's up against probably, arguably, the best tight um in in Franz Malherbe, and for Lachman to come in and monster scrum was 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 very very good. Um, so right across that front row, I think they deserve to get credit uh, for this performance, and it's a big, big, big performance. From the result is just massive because the implications of losing these two games and not being in Europe. Um, were, were were very big for Munster so right across the board I think the, the effort levels and the, the energy they brought and the fight and grit and determination I think they shocked the Stormers the Stormers coach John Dobson was speaking afterwards and he had nothing good to say about his team um, I'm sure when they look back at the game they know it can be better but Munster bred it really really difficult for them and Dermot Barn had a, a big big game um, which was it was great to see because, um, you know, not just from the tries, the tackles he made and the carries uh, around the field were superb.
3: Conor Murray was good for Ireland in the Six Nations, but didn't get the start in Europe and or the Champions Cup, brother, obviously in South Africa, uh, and got the start um, on Saturday and played well. Was it a mistake in retrospect not to pick him in the Champions Cup?
7: Um I don't know. Um, I think at the time, his form wasn't great. Um, It's a good sign of the character that he's responded really well and didn't let that kind of define his season or his career and kind of let his career peter out. Um, Not being in the 23 for for Munster's Champions Cup game against Northampton at Thomond Park, the easy thing to do there would be... Well, maybe it's not. The easy thing is probably the wrong phrase you could drop your head there and you could kind of um be frustrated and negative about it. Um he's chose the opposite, which is a great kind of example for young players. When they get dropped, I had plenty of experiences that in my career and they're not easy and, you know, you think of the perception that people then have of you as a player that you're not in the twenty three. And um so he's responded really well. I thought he was really, really good the other night. Um he was very composed. Uh, made a lot of good decisions he's kicking game he's passing and and he was you know he, he kind of was a real good leader for the team made a lot of tackles as well so
3: you'd say his first um, choice now for the rest of the season on the basis of the fact that they didn't start him against the Sharks and they got hammered and he starts this game and there's like more it feels like there's more control and particularly when you're now they've decided that they know who their out half is it, it feels like as well
7: well, if you play well, if look, for Craig Casey, I don't think he had his best game against the Sharks. Um, he's a very, very talented player. Uh, but, you know, they've gone with Conor Murray for this game and he's played really well and shown his experience. And he's got to back that up. Whether he'll start this week, whether Craig Casey'll start, I don't know. But um, he's responded in a really positive way, Jared, that for any sports person who, who is in that situation, um it's a good decision to kind of pick yourself up, um, be positive with the team. And that that's remembered as well. And a lot of players spoke about that, how positive he was for that week that he was dropped. Um, he wasn't negative. He didn't have a kind of a sulky head in him. He was trying to help players, help the team. So that's really important. And that's a good example and message. But, um, yeah, he's put himself in a position now that... Um, he looks like he's kind of won back that jersey for a moment, but that can change very quickly. Craig yeah. Casey, super player.
3: Let's let's talk about the, the tens. Is is, um, is Joy Carberry in in South Africa?
7: Yeah, he is. He's with the team. He warmed up with him. He was um, he was there with them, and uh, he's gone through a tough time, hasn't he? Because uh, again, you're talking about perception and where he's been and and the level he's been at for a number of years, being second choice for Ireland playing plenty of games being involved all the time and now he finds himself for this game for the first time outside the Monster 23 so again he's going to have to kind of battle this this kind of tough period out and I still believe he's a quality player um, the decision to go with Ben Healy and you know go with Jack Crowley starting instead of him a couple of weeks ago it's purely down to tactics and and what the Monster coaches see and um they've gone with Crowley and, and picking Ben Healy and on the bench the weekend obviously was uh you know a big moment for Ben Healy. Disappoint very disappointing for Joey Carberry. But it's compl- it's 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 totally tactical, and um, you know that's that's the way the Munster coaches have gone. And I think Ben Healy was very good when he came on off yeah. on the field, off the field, I off do, the bench. Sorry,
3: you do wonder there if um, what's going to happen next season, if, if maybe Ben Healy regrets the fact that he won't be there next season to compete for the, the ten slot because you see how quickly you can get into Ireland consideration, and also what happened after the World Cup when Sexton goes. So um, I do want to talk about. Um, Sam Prendergast and his performance. Obviously, Leinster fans are very excited about the fact that he's getting the start. And at one stage in the first half, it looked like the game was kind of running away a little bit from Leinster. And you're kind of, everybody was like, oh, well, that's to be expected. This is an inexperienced side. But the second half performance was one of those. No, hang on a second. We've been unbeaten all year. We're not going to just fold our tents up here. Um, Let's talk about Prendergast first. How did he get on?
7: He was superb, I think, and it's, it's extraordinary for such a young player to come into a, a team that um, has very high expectations, obviously, and are, you know, missing all their front-line internationals. Um, I think it's it's it would be easy to manage Sam Prendergast and slip him in there with 10 internationals around him and think, God, that's going to protect him better. But he's obviously um, a strong mind, strong spirit, and they... they you know, they believe in his quality and talents and, you know, anybody who watches closely the, the under 26 nations can see that talents and that ability. Um, but he's obviously a strong character as well. And, and he was superb on, on, on Saturday because uh, you said it, Jared, They were 15 points down at one stage. You kind of buy into the narrative that we've good moral victory here and we've done well and we scored a few tries and we've 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 given it a lash Um But their mentality is totally different. I think they kept believing and kept back in their pace in that second half. um, You know to score three tries and and you know change the whole picture of the game. Really, I think that the Lions kind of um, I think probably switched off and thought that they're going to you know overpower Leinster here and get the job done. But um, we've seen this from Leinster and and the standards they set over the years that you just can't shake them off. So it was a. It was a brilliant performance for him, full of control, uh, confidence, and he's a quality player. Who's Leinster very lucky to have him, and um, we're going to see a lot more of Sam Prendergast in the next couple of years.
3: Yeah, you wonder how quickly he's going to be able to force his way into the, the Leinster team because obviously there's an established pecking order at the moment. But you know, those types of performances are the ones that get you noticed and make everybody go. Let's just let's just stick him in the first team and see what happens here. Um
7: I, yeah Chris, Co- Chris Cosgrave was outstanding as well full back. Um they've there's a couple of young players there that have incredible talent. Um Tommy O'Brien having him back, you know, he's had a bad run of injuries and you know Liam Turner gets a you know great try as well. So uh, a lot of good exciting young players there that that stepped up in a, in a in a pretty hostile environment.
3: Yeah. Um I, I do want to ask you about the news that broke then that uh, Stuart Lancaster's replacement is going to be Jack Ninabar um, you'd probably be familiar with him from his time at Munster yeah. uh, obviously his exact role within South Africa the title is head coach and Razzie's supposed to be the director of rugby it always felt like it was Razzie's show so um, what, what was your instinct when you heard this?
7: Um, initially shocked I think like everybody else um, didn't see didn't see that one coming it's it's a great coup for Leinster. I think the level of um, compliments that you'd hear about Jack Neenamber and the, the the way he can inspire players and the Munster players loved him, I think, um, with a less talented squad, possibly, um, and playing a different type of game a number of years ago when he was there with Rassi, I think um, you know he made Munster so hard to beat defensively. I think there's obviously more to his to his game than just being a defensive coach I think he would have evolved over the years but um, very inspirational, very motivated um, incredibly on detail and it's it's an incredible coup I think that the shock for, that, that most people got and the surprise um, obviously it was, it was kept very quiet, it was going to be broken here in South Africa so I think both Leinster and, and, the, and the Springboks um, decided to get it out before somebody else did um, there's a lot of shock here, they're, they're very surprised, and speaking to a lot of journalists in, in, at the game in Cape Town on Saturday evening um, they were all very surprised Matthew Pierce, who does the commentary for Super Sport, he's their main commentator he did an event last week with Jack Neen and <laughs> for two hours somewhere and uh, there wasn't a sniff or a whiff of this going on and uh, and it was all about Springbok planning and going forward and stuff so um, he's, he says he's done it for personal reasons um, he's obviously got a break clause in his, in his uh, contract here that allows him to leave um, Razzie's, I was reading up about it, Razzie's contract definitely has one so I presume they were both the same when they re-signed and um, those contracts were supposed to go till 2025 so they obviously have a break clause in the contract that he's activating now after the World Cup and um, he says his personal reasons, so it's not a bad team to go to, is it, if you want to change the scenery and move your family? and um, I know that both families, um, I'm not overstepping the mark here, I know that Razzie's family and Jack's family loved it in Ireland. and They weren't keen to go back at the time, but obviously then the, 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 the head job with South Africa and those roles came up for both of them and uh, they couldn't really turn that down. So, Maybe they want to go back to Ireland and experience it again. And um, it's not going to please all the Munster fans, and, and it is a bit surprising. But that's the nature of the business. You know, Leinster have got, um, from what we can gather and what we've seen, an outstanding coach here, and it's an incredible coup for them.
1: As the South African team's addition to the to the URC and Champions Cup, is that a happy coincidence? Would that have made Leinster want to go after Nina a little bit more, albeit he's a brilliant coach in his own right? But would that have been a, an influence on the decision, do you reckon, Quinny?
7: Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure, Shane. I don't think that's would have really to do with it. I just think, um, you know, Leo would have known um, how good he was for, for for Munster. With, as I said, a less talented squad, um, did a great job. They they got um, Munster into a, a UR, um, URC final at the time and semi final Europe. Um, they were incredibly difficult to beat, and you know you hear you hear stories coming out from coaches with all these clubs, how good a coach is. And sometimes the best endorsement you can get is from players. Um, it is from players because the type of coach you are, the way you deal with people, all that kind of stuff. So um, he was loved in Limerick and um, I'm sure the Leinster fans will really take to Jack Neen and Barr. And uh, so I don't know if it's, it was anything to do with picking a South African. I think Leinster have gone for one of the best coaches in world rugby. Um, you know, he, he coached the Springbok side to, to, to win a World Cup. Um, you know, he's done remarkably well since with them. And you know, he's a, a very, very impressive C V and and you know, again, Leo would have known what was uh, and Leinster, not yeah. just Leo, they would have known what, how good he was in Munster and how how well liked he was. But um yeah, it's a great coup for them.
3: All right, we'll leave it there for now, Queenie, good stuff. Thanks a million. Cheers, lads. Thanks. It's uh, Alan Quillen giving us his thoughts there. At 13 minutes past nine this morning, OTB AM brought you live with Gillette Labs. Got the ultimate shave or your money back. Neonite edition is available now. Some highlights on the OTB podcast network for you today. You can search uh, OTB football, Brian Kerr on Arsenal's draw with West Ham. With Sunday pay review with uh, Conan Doherty, Jason Byrne, joining Willa Callahan, and some GA reaction, including Monaghan's huge win, including uh, Vinnie Corey and Conor McManus as well. Um, as well as hearing from the Tyrone camp there as well. Make sure you follow OTB across our social channels and subscribe to the OTB podcast network. The Football Pod are on the road again. You might have heard the ad. They're heading to Killarney for Off the Ball. First big road show of the summer, thanks to AIB, Tommy, Paddy and James. We bring in the Football Pod to the Great Southern Hotel on the 4th of May. That's Thursday. Join us for a brilliant night of football chat and crack with plenty of focus on the All Ireland Champions Kerry and the contenders who are coming for their throne. It's an exclusive off air event. It's all in partnership with AIB. Check out the hashtag the toughest for more. Go to offtheball.com forward slash events. Anthony Moyles in studio next, talking about that Ulster quarter final win.
2: OCB AM with Gillette Labs get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition
3: available now. Anthony Moyes is with us. We will do uh, the full Mon thing in a few minutes' time, but I did like uh, we've, we've talked <laughs> about <laughs> a little bit. Of it, but I do think Derry are probably delighted with the way that that game finished. That there's this outpouring of emotion afterwards. Conor, <sighs> Conor, uh, Conor runs very quickly afterwards. Like this is just the first round ulcer. In the interview that he was doing with Orla on BBC. Yeah. Just the first round of Ulster. Yeah. But it, it didn't feel that way. Uh,
0: for for Monaghan or for Derry? <laughs> <laughs> for,
3: for Derry, they're like, this is great. You guys, you go off and you party. Yeah. Shane is going to be draped in the Monaghan flag as the. There was no
1: partying last or- night. It was a very relaxed, it was different to previous years. There was no getting carried away. It Was, was f- there
3: not? Smiley heads
1: leaving Oma, but it was like, well, on to Derry now. There was definitely a different feel to it. That's
0: definitely good to hear. It. Mm Yeah, like, Derry will be absolutely delighted licking their lips. Um, there was very little in that performance really for Fermanagh. Once they got the early goals, um, that was kind of it. You know, Fermanagh obviously wanted to try to hang in the game for as long as they can, or as long as they could. And once they opened them up, um, and again it's this old age of having people back but actually people not really doing their job you know having bodies there but actually being pulled and dragged and Derry had the 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 mouse to be able to do that um you can actually hear on the commentary sometimes i don't know who it was roaring it could be gallagher prop more than likely it was yeah, roaring absolutely. but you could hear on the commentary no sweeper no sweeper and i just i, I like flicked the eyes up and you could see that although they had bodies they had been pulled and there was actually no one on the Mm -hmm. knee and then as soon as the players heard that they literally turned and went straight down the middle so the communication from all the angles and the various different bits and bobs, um, it'll be good for Derry. Derry obviously will get that Dublin performance out of their out of their system, but again they won't get carried away. I don't really. It was horses for courses yesterday. They'll revert back to what they're more used to against Monaghan and whoever else they come up against because they were a bit more open and a bit more kind of progressive mm-hmm. really yesterday. Um, but they could afford to be really. You know, for mana were for mana weren't. You know,
3: we'll preview the, that game properly when when it comes around. So let's get let's get to the story of the weekend and that is uh, Monaghan's victory Tyrone's failure to close the game out well, that too also yeah, yeah. <laughs> so very un-Tyrone like you know a five point lead at half time brilliant in the first half and I did feel like it was essentially game over at that point part of me was wondering, I might wander off and flick around and have a look at what else and yeah. some of the stuff. Because we've seen this movie a million times, but we hadn't. There wasn't much else on, to be honest. <laughs> well, uh, a couple of things,
0: and again, I'm not doing the old hindsight 2020 job, but... Um, yeah, sorry. They... they uh, I thought they were... So Monaghan were unbelievably efficient in the first half. Unbelievably efficient. Tyrone were a slight bit...
3: Wasteful. I thought that actually that was in favour of Tyrone because there's no way we're well, not going to be able to keep this up. That felt a little bit like uh, Dublin's performance against Donegal back in the All Ireland semi-final, where everything they kicked went over, and they were all worldy and like, ah, "There's no way they can keep that up." I yeah, mean, you can't. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. out you
0: can. Well, they can't. You know, sorry, they they, they they can when they have the quality that you know, such as McManus. You know, and I know you guys were chatting about it earlier on. Like I, I watched it so closely that I think he touched the ball in the first minute, about a minute twenty. Yeah. Bar free, he didn't touch the ball again until the 15th minute, which was an absolutely unbelievable score. On the right hand side, underneath the stand, mm-hmm. with his right foot, he makes a little jink, makes the space, gets the ball, drops his left shoulder, comes on and kicks it. Like, into. Into literally nothing. It's curling around the post and drops over, and he never took a bounce. He just bang hit it, and for a fan like it just shows you the confidence, the ability that he has. Um, and I know that, like I mean, we're, we're, we're going to get back to the game, but like I mean, I played against him, Jerry when he was a half back, mm. and he was he was he was like. You'd see bigger legs Giddy hanging leg, out of a yeah. nest, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and now to put the work in because he's he, he's he's physically so strong as well. Yeah. You know he's coming up against Hamsey. He's coming up against different fellows. this who who are big men mm. trying to bully him, not a bother. So the amount of work he has put in, by the way, to completely change his body shape. You know the wee young lad. You see fellas saying, oh, well, he's you know he's a wispy type of player." That guy has put in. So, uh, never mind his ability. Yeah. Right because like, some fellas also who have that ability kind of say Oh well I'll be able to you know, come on the loop I'll be able to get scores but he has been so diligent and obviously committed over the years it's fun. It's unbelievable to see and it's paying off because his 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 body is honed now and at 35 or 30, 36 years of age he's still able to do what he did yesterday
1: there's an element too and it's hardly a new thing but he distracts defenders then because you have to have a couple of lads keeping some sort of an eye on him and it leaves the space for the likes of Bannigan, O'Hanlon, McCarthy got a couple of nice scores in the second half as well yeah. Jack McCarr didn't have his great greatest day yesterday but those options are there for Monaghan The other forwards are maybe freed up for a little bit of space because of the focus Correct. on McManus.
0: And they didn't panic. You know the one thing about Monaghan so so if you break down the game uh I felt Monaghan never panicked they made some alterations which I thought were really smart alterations and they, they, they took off the, the young lad corner back and it wasn't because he was having a poor Phillips, game yeah. but they needed a bit more from the half back line which they got with McCarthy when he mm. went back there because what happened was and we spoke about this before uh, Burns drops back very quickly for Tyrone into a kind of a sweeping roll. so they said right if he's going to do that we will attack down that side and try to take him and try to make as much forward momentum as we can in that situation situation they also upped their intensity and I know like I mean people will say oh well you know it's not all about that but it is about that like I mean they got much more physical with them and hands on every single time Canavan or McCurry or any of the guys inside got a ball in the second half they had a Monaghan player right beside them tackling, tackling, tackling pushing them out pushing them out they turned them over probably four or five times where they crowded them out they got their hands up didn't commit fouls and on the far side Tyrone gave some very soft frees. now I thought the referee was a bit picky in the first Half. He never. Uh, it was a great game yesterday, but there was a lot of stop-starting mm. that first half from the ref, I thought he was being overly finicky, uh, and he never
3: really let the intensity increase. There was an amazing uh, dribble that he called for Harman Yeah, I was like, I'm not really sure that was. Yeah, I don't. I I think that because it was almost he was so fast for the ref, and and as a result, it felt like everything was being called, and it certainly felt like some of the frees the end that were given. Where uh, oh, there's going to be an equaliser here, but um. yeah, felt a bit like that. But um, but I suppose yeah.
0: So so dropping back a bit, you know, Teron would have been very very happy. You're right, Jared. Like I mean, they, they could have probably went in seven or eight up, right? And they probably should have gone in seven or eight up. Not from not from opening Monaghan up, but but I thought McCurry snatched it a few from bad angles. That yeah. you're probably saying really, um, you know, it would have been an unbelievable score to get, but. You know, okay, he was probably feeling confident. I just thought they they should have been a little bit further ahead. Monahan tightened up. Monahan got on the front foot a bit more. There was obviously a factor with the breeze. Um, it didn't
1: really come across that way, but there obviously yeah. What was it like at the thing? Why, why the breeze didn't feel significant to me, it right? No, it, certainly being there, I wouldn't have said it's a really breezy day in Oma, um, right? Yeah. But obviously for the players in the pitch, McManus said it himself that he found the shooting easier in the second half. Yeah, I think a lot of more players were taking pot shots in the second half for Monahan. So it must have been a significant swirl on the pitch. Yeah
0: um, which Yeah was, was it kind impressive. of It felt out Well it, but you know it's, it's interesting to see it But, but some players from Mono- Like O'Connell I, You know O'Connell has played Hardly any football this year Yeah He, he, he was obviously injured um, But his performance Yesterday in midfield Was like If you watch the goal At the very end He's the one who passes The ball off And is going back For the return Like his performance Because the two midfielders For Tyrone are playing At the top of their game At They the were moment. good Yeah Yeah, you know they were good And they kept mixing it Remember we were saying That Kennedy was moving Into full forward sometime mm-hmm. and. Yeah creating that kind of a big threat in there where they put that diagonal ball in. They did that a couple of times, actually. Um, But, you know, Lavelle, I thought, was quieter, but my dear, the worky rate he put in the second half was absolutely phenomenal. But Tyrone's Achilles' heel again, Jer, which is running straight down the middle at them, Pulling heart out, it, opening up that sixth channel, and going straight—that was ultimately that caught them in the end. Because if you watch the goal, there's actually three or four Tyrone guys ahead of the ball, but as the ball gets transferred across, a couple of Monaghan players, Monaghan fellas, actually end up beyond them. So someone stops working. So actually, I <laughs> know we'll talk about the opportunity and the goal chance, but actually, there's two more options for them there's a man inside where he could have hand passed and yeah. actually O'Connell is coming yeah. as well so they nearly could have walked in this net
3: yeah yeah. Uh, at the end though it felt a little bit like uh, this game is going to overtime I'm going to not kick the extra point in American football I'm going to go for two and everybody's like oh it's the analytics guys it's like there's, I mean, in, yeah, yeah, yeah. the calculation in his head in that second is like ah going for it <laughs>
1: well what are you doing in that situation
3: the whole world is not is not doing that uh, early. Yeah. Yeah. I'm probably falling over
0: myself as I get the ball <laughs> and the panic. The panic sets in. <laughs> the, the enormity of the yeah. city. Look, his attitude after the game was phenomenal. By the way. Never mind that. He, he went in and picked up Canavan in the second half. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And he snuffed, Canavan got one score where he had to come out really far and get on the ball and he was facing the ball and he got a great score now, but he snuffed Canavan out that second half. He had an unbelievable game. And for, like,
3: that's his first year, um, really playing. In the 1997 Ireland Hurling Final, John Ly gets a chance and goes for goal instead of taking an equalising point for Tip Mm. against Clare. And it's been spoken about ever since. Yeah. So like there there's a it's a very, very high risk with almost no reward, right? But then the reward is like ah oh, look. The at reward me. is final. Yeah. And he
0: wasn't really one on one because I don't know who the, the Tyrone the twenty three oh, it was. As yeah, well, but yeah. I, I Slutton, think actually Sludden
1: lost him a little bit. Sludden yeah. went to the ball and kind Correct. of gave the. And
0: run. I actually think that the, that the other Tyrone guy puts Morgan slightly off, and Morgan never expected it. Like he, I mean, you could see his reaction after he's like, "Did that really happen?" Yeah, um, yeah. he was fully expecting it either to be palmed across. I thought Morgan had a great open. game by the way. They, they, he played very well. Like. Listen, it was top. It was it was. Unbelievably high quality mm. match. You know the ball, the passing, the the the. You, you, there was very few misplaced passes. The kickouts were phenomenal. The Morgan, pressure on Morgan the kickouts. Fielding the
3: Monaghan kickouts. Yeah, like, yeah. and yeah. it's it, Beggin. It's so high risk, but it's like it's so exciting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it Creates no. this mad sense of jeopardy from the kickouts. Well, it's phenomenal. Like, yeah. There was a great angle behind the
0: goal where you see one of Beggin's kickouts and they empty out. Left channel of as he's looking out, and they get an easy one away, and straight away next kick out, you see Morgan, and he's standing right there. He's like, uh-uh. mm-hmm. so they have to put it out right, yeah. obviously, and and then they they give the one ball up which ends up in the goal, um, where he goes short, and they get they get dispossessed. But but then Morgan is kind of hiding literally and then coming for kickouts. Mm. Um, but it is it is high risk high jab. But it's 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 listen it's it's fantastic stuff.
1: It's funny that like Reno Toole exudes such confidence after the match. But he plays with a lot of these lads at club level, so he would play with Scotstown with Begin, Shane Carey, Conor McCarthy, Kieran Hughes, Darren Hughes. A lot of this Monaghan team. So it, it kind of familiarised himself with the with Monaghan setup in his first year. The the interesting thing that McManus said afterwards was that the use of Began as the quarterback. It's not, it's not a, yeah. a, a new thing in Gaelic football, but that diagonal ball, particularly for the Steve O'Hanlon goal oh, into Carl Gallagher who absolutely. plays it off, like that sort of thing works very, very well. well we, t- we talked about it a few weeks ago, which is this
0: idea of having a, a, a sweeper-keeper but not really affecting the game. So it's just mm-hmm. another set of hands to ship a pass on. That, for me, is just a lot of risk for very little reward Yeah, because you're bringing somebody up you're leaving all of this and actually you cause confusion in the back line literally just for someone to get it he yeah. doesn't do that he gets it and he probes with passes. He put another pass out over a top of a yeah. Tyrone player. So he's always constantly. That pass in particular was an excellent pass. Um, I thought O'Hanlon was really good yesterday. That was an unbelievable battle with Myler. Because Myler looked like he was winning the arm yeah, wrestle. Yeah. But O'Hanlon never gave up. You know, a couple of times he got done for overcarrying badly by the referee because he does this little jink and he is gone. Um, and I kind of thought to myself, because himself and Myler were having a right ding dong. Myler was giving him plenty every time. Um, and I was saying he he's he, he he might shirk away from this um and when he got the pass for the goal he only had one thing on his mind and i thought he i thought he had a really really great game he you know he carried he carried the, the fight to them unbelievably well tyrone my only worry sorry it's not it's not a, it's a, it's a thing i suppose with tyrone in the sense that again you see, i tell, like where i don't know where we the big thing about I suppose some games is and you see this a lot in American football when a team can sit back at half time and work you out a little bit I think you have to go out the second half and do something different. And do something different. Yeah. So Tyrone went out the second half and felt we'll continue to do mm. exactly what we've been doing yeah. and it'll work but Monaghan had said, "Uh, uh-uh, you're not going to use Canavan and McCurry anymore, mm. and we're going to get bodies back in there, and we going." So, I'm kind of going, "Where? Where's the change-up? You know, and uh, like McShane has obviously gone so far down the pecking order there in Tyrone, because I would have thought a big man. Now I know they brought on the, the younger lad, Deenon. yeah, but he came on around really around midfield, yeah. and they were starting to get a little bit wiped out around there too. So they needed, they needed, they needed something different." Um, now Kahneman took it upon himself to come out and kind of try to come in from the half forward line but that was also a bit of desperation that they weren't getting the ball in so yeah. they'll, they'll learn from that uh, but they need the to That's the thing
3: yeah, I, I've just, I was trying to find out um, it, these two teams could end up in the same group still yeah. in the All-Ireland yeah. series now I think if Derry beat Monaghan then they'll both be third season so therefore obviously they won't Yeah. but a reward for Monaghan beating Derry could be a, a Ulster final defeat and then Tyrone drawn. Because like they always get drawn against Tyrone, right? Oh, constantly. So you'd be like, oh. We always
1: beat them earlier and then they beat us Great, later on. Great last, good to see you again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. For that game in Croke Park, maybe. It's typical. Yeah. It was interesting at that, that point as well about the, the second half, Monon and changing the intensity. Because Manon came out for the second half a lot earlier than Tyrone did. And that's not really a Monin thing. Traditionally, Manon will wait in the dressing rooms for quite a significant portion of time. And like you could see that the six and forwards get into a huddle. And Conor McManus was doing most of the talking. Neil Bannigan, who's the vice-captain this season, was doing a lot of talking as well. But they were clearly focused at the start of the second half. Absolutely. The defenders did the same. Absolutely. A little group. Yeah. They were ready to go, like.
0: They were ready to go. And actually, I think O'Toole mentioned that when they looked at some of their stats at half time, it showed that their intensity levels weren't where they were. So what is that? It's turnovers, predominantly, you know, and it's tackle count. And even the forwards getting back mm-hmm. and helping out, that wasn't really happening. Um, so, yeah, it, it's... it's you know, there is, there is that thing of the championship and where they will end up and all those different things. But Monaghan will absolutely take that because, you know, I was still questioning their Mayo win because people, you know, it was, it was, it was essentially wasn't it, you know, a first team, a Mayo team. But we've seen what's obviously happened Mayo, in Mayo the last couple of weeks. But, um, for them to do what they do, the one thing that amazes me is, you know, and you don't need to comment on this, Shane. But I look at, like, we were slagging a couple of weeks ago about the 06, I think, league final. And look at the... 05, yeah. 05, yeah. The virtues of, say, Kildare or me against Monaghan. Like, Monaghan have a small, small playing tiny, pool. Tiny, yeah. tiny playing pool. Mm, yeah. And they are absolutely eking every single last drop out of that playing pool and out of their ability and their resources to continuously... I don't know what the year is for Division One and how many de- years they've been there now. They, they was there. But like, and Ten years and, and around, doing yeah, what they're yeah. able to do. No, no, it doesn't matter that they're not winning all. That. They are, they are
3: there and they are competitive well, continuously. They must now consider themselves, and they they've got to stop this. Ah, look, it's Ulster, and we'll be happy with that. Yeah, I don't think they are this season. But I really don't think they I really, are. I really hope that's the case because, like, you know, I've said before, I remember speaking to somebody uh, steeped in in Monaghan GAA. A um, and they were like, "Look, we'll never win an All Ireland, but we could win an Ulster." And since then, they have won their Ulsters. In fairness, but I do think that like they must be looking at. There's nobody who they could get in an All Ireland quarter final, or semi final that they wouldn't give themselves a chance against now on the basis of everybody being fit, right? So our group setup is perfect for Monaghan. Team like Monaghan, three league
1: games essentially, home, away, neutral. Monaghan love a little bit of jeopardy. It's set up nicely, and I think the Derry game, as we say, like it, it doesn't really have the meaning that it it might have otherwise had. Man, don't care about winning Ulster this year; it'd be it'd be lovely, but the group is the focus. I hope so.
0: I think so. But, contenders,
1: yeah, but also you know they won't get
0: ahead of themselves, and they they Derry is the next challenge. Um, but the challenge then is you're playing one of the top four teams. That's it. So you're playing another team who
3: fancy who are contenders for the All-Ireland you'd give them a chance against Derry you give them a chance against Mayo Kerry and Dublin I would make favourites against Monaghan mm. like three to five point favourites in that game at this stage right but everybody else I'm like oh, I think Monaghan are going to give them their full of it and even then if if Monaghan get their tactics right and understand in a, early enough so it's not a five point lead at half time for Kerry and yeah, yeah. Dublin you don't get them you don't let them get into that stage you make those changes a bit earlier and like this is this is Vinny Coy's first season. Yeah,
1: as also, manager. Desi Ward, who's a fulcrum of that Monaghan team, was injured yesterday. Was named in the team, but could, but didn't make it. Carlo O'Connell, ironically, came in for him. Mm. So Desi could be back for the for the Derry game, which would be a massive plus. Yeah, it would be a big plus.
0: But, you know, the, the, I suppose the McManus factor is a big factor. You know, he, he What did he get nine yesterday? Yeah, yeah nine. It is a big factor. Was feeling the shoulder
3: after one of the ones in the first half, and like, oh no. Yeah, then, yeah. It made no difference. He yeah, and McCarran.
0: McCarran had an off day, but I felt sorry for McCarran because I think he was trying to play uh, that quarterback where he was coming out to the mm. top of the D and he was trying to be the provider of the ball inside and it just wasn't working for him and it wasn't really working for the team really that set up um, McCarran is never going to annihilate you with that type of pace in the yeah. full forward line so probably finding a role for him which could be an 11 um, you know or something different I think they need to get a bit more out of him because the, the over-reliance on McManus is, is there. But then, of course, you'd say on the flip side, well, Tyrone are probably over-reliant maybe a little bit on Canavan. Mm. Uh, certainly the, the stats would show you that yesterday. But you always need the ace in the hole. And McManus's performance, be it from place balls or from play yesterday, not only does he obviously execute unbelievably well, but as you say, he, he draws players yeah. to him. Yeah. Um,
1: the squad depth is probably a question
0: Yeah, um, and that's why the you groups
3: know. might not be great for them well I, I have They're to say
1: even Sean Jones yesterday coming off the bench he didn't he didn't really show what he's capable of but he he has lit up the under
3: 20s you want a handy, handy group yeah. Yeah, that would be the other thing yeah, that, yeah. that could help them uh, one last thing I wouldn't also write Tyrone off after this either I think that's um, great learning for them great learning for them but again uh, we questioned earlier on the season the camp
0: you know and the mood in the camp so they lose a the game That that's a sickness for them yesterday that is a sickener there's no doubt about it like I mean they'll, they'll be saying at halftime, we do X, Y, Z we see this game out we could win by 5 or 6 or 3 or 4 yeah. they end up losing uh, scratching their head and kind of going I would say there will be in a lot of analysis of what went on the options that were taken maybe a little bit of lack of intensity thinking we do have this and the question mark would be Jared, well then do they, does it break them tighter or does it Show. What do they do crack. for the next
1: five weeks? Do they go back and play club? What would you advise? Club football? I, I reckon they will go you'd back and play them, you'd club. You'd let
0: them off for, for at least two weeks. You know, that's, that's, I think that's what you would do. Um, and let them off and see how that goes and let, just let it get out of their system. They're not going to, you know, lose anything. Um, and then you bring them in two or three weeks or two and a half weeks before it and you say, right, we're, 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 we're going to learn what we need to do and then we push on. Mm. All right. Anthony, good stuff.
3: Thanks a million about OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition, available now.